Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That time of the week again, the Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. Fourteen rounds down and we are now heading into Origin 2 action in Perth, standalone rep weekend this weekend, Boxhead. I think uh, the biggest talking point for this show and the main point of this show will be Origin 2. This is going to be our Origin 2 preview. We will not be doing another one later in the week. I know it is seven days away, but I well, doubt... It's five and a half days away. Well, five and a half days, whatever, but it's not going to be... You know, By the time everyone listens to it, it'll be five days. I highly doubt anything really controversial is going to happen between now and then with the media, the flight over today, etc. They're going to be lucky to get one or two runs in before playing yeah. this weekend, so there's no need to delay. Uh, our set of six, for that reason, will be Origin-themed. For tonight, so kicking off with our set of six before we preview the Origin team, talk about the lineups, all things along those lines. Tackle one, I guess Mitchell Pearce was penciled in to be named for the second time or considered for a second time as the New South Wales halfback, and for the second time he's been ruled out through injury. Well, so that's yeah, there's, the question. there's a lot of suggestions around that he. This has, is the question. Yeah, he's pulled out twice or doesn't want to play. I think that's rubbish. I, I genuinely believe that he's injured. I can't see any reason why he wouldn't want to step up and play. Uh, otherwise, he'd just make himself unavailable. Simple as that. So, uh, particularly in the form that he's displaying for the night. So, I, I think it's hogwash. Uh, I think it's convenient. Um, and look, it does look a little bit coincidental the fact that he's carried two injuries in. My understanding is that he said to Brad Fittler he can play, but he wouldn't be able to train until later in the week. Freddie then said, "Well, no you know, well, yeah, it's too short of a turnaround to try and build combinations." So. They went with a safe play, which is James Maloney. Um, whether you agree with that or not, I guess we'll get into the the formation of the side. But I, I think this is a beat up, this story. Yep. I think Mitchell Pearce is in fantastic form and I'd love to see him playing, but if he's injured, then he's done the right thing. He's and informed Freddie early and we can move on with the week. At the same time, I'm going to buy into the second part of it because I've heard plenty of people speculating on this. Mitchell Pearce owes New South Wales nothing, in my opinion given what he's copped in the past, in my opinion, unfairly. So if whether he's healthy <laughs> or not, or whether he doesn't want to play, there was a guy in the past named Jamie Lyon who wasn't a big fan because he got slammed left, right and centre in the media and go on to play. So. It's part and parcel. Uh, I, I, Mitchell Pearce, he's a lot older, a lot smarter, a lot more mature than what he was when he got thrown into the fire. Uh, we burnt plenty of halfbacks through that time, not just Mitchell Pearce. Jared Mullen, Camp Easy um, played a game. Yeah, we had a lot of guys. You could, Peter you Wallace. could go through, go on Google every every halves combination Jamie since you know, Freddie and, and Joey and, and the likes were playing. Yeah, so it was a squirrel. Anyway, it, it is what it is. Mitchell Pearce in great form. It's disappointing he's not playing, but he's not there, so move on. Yep. Uh tackled to touching on what you said about Cody Walker. I didn't hear it directly today, but obviously when people are quoting it, I'm going to assume it is the case. But apparently Brad Fittler 
said that picking James Maloney was a case of last man standing for a Haas partner, which is quite an insult if you're Cody Walker. Yeah, I think. Look, I think he said it as a joke. It was a throwaway line as a joke. So we're not there. We're not going to act like we're the police here and we're not going to get super offended by it. No, no, that's a lot of the takes have been super offended by it. We we don't we don't fall into that path. However, I think it was in poor taste. I'm I I, I just think that he should have he should have acknowledged Walker publicly. I know he may have done that privately. I'm sure he would have rung him, or you would would have at least hoped that he's rung him and informed him who, what, when, where, how, why, like a coach should. So we're assuming that. But publicly, he should have at least thanked him. Um, said Cody did a good job or, you know, whatever. These are the reasons why Cody's not been selected. And then, you know, informed us that Maloney's been selected. It was – I thought it was poor for a guy that's played the one game. I don't think he was that bad. I know Twitter went into an absolute whirlwind bagging the shit out of him last game. But uh, I think we play too much into what social media thinks and comments and, and you know, the what the general feeling is on social media. A lot of the time impacts decisions. I, I would have gone with Walker again. I would have gone with Cleary and Walker again, but Freddie's chose to go with Maloney, and I respect that, and I respect what he did last year. Uh, But don't tell me that the team's been picked on form. I think Maloney's been fair the last two weeks. He's been better than what he has been prior. And Walker, yeah, Walker didn't have a great game on the weekend, but to me, you know, we watched the game together. My comment to you was that he looked like a player that knows he's not being selected. He knows he's not going to be picked. He knew that. And I think I said it in game one. Unfortunately, I... Wouldn't have picked him for game two, but not on my own personal opinion. I wouldn't have picked him because, to me, they burned him the moment they hooked him in game one. Mm. They dashed his confidence right then and there, well, and I, I thought that was yeah. wrong. We, we sort of fell, had different thoughts on that. My, my thought was that he just forced Whiten onto the field, and no. Walker was the he casualty of that. Well, he did, but I don't think I don't think it was because of Walker's form. I think it was just because he picked Whiten and had to get Whiten on. So oh, I thought he could have got Whiten on another way. You don't yeah. pull off a half in his first game. Well, uh, we can argue about that all we want. That until we're blue in the face. I but that, that, that was my take on it. Anyway. All right. Tackle three, moving on. Uh, I guess another one that was quite surprising yesterday is apparently, and again, this is all speculation, but again, where there's smoke, there's fire. Latrell Mitchell only found out about his dropping by Boyd Coidner when the game ended. He was told by Boyd. And then he refused any interviews after the game. So again, I go back to my point before about the Cody Walker and the throwaway line. I love Brad Fittler. I really do as a bloke. But this seems poor man management. Again, if you want to manage people, keep them in the loop and have options moving forward. You may not need Cody Walker again at age 29. Uh, you know, but Latrell but Mitchell... line you, there is what they always say. You know, he's a good bloke. But in the end, Freddie's paid to be the coach. He's paid to be a that, professional. He's you're paid a coach to, as well. Did you not acknowledge no somebody in the or world. not ring somebody? You know, you know the answer to that yeah, question. You'd acknowledge him and yeah, ring him and like, tell him directly, this is why, this is good what's Good bloke, happening. but your job's not to be a good bloke. Your job's to be the guy that delivers those messages. You can't just make the good phone calls. You've got yeah. to be the one that's making the bad phone calls. And Crichton, and apparently as well, was not known to until me, he did an interview. To me, this, this wearing two hats business where Freddie's with Channel 9 and you know he's the origin coach, I'd just like to see him, when, he, when he's... Origin coach for that six weeks, he's not on Channel 9. Yeah. He's not on the footy show. Because it's, I don't, I don't like the fact he's got to sit there and answer questions and try and, you know, make comment on players in an unbiased fashion. It's, it's, I just think it's impossible to do. Well, at the same uh, time, and the fact Kev Walters has to go for the same thing. I know that. Fox, I don't so. like it either way. I think it just highlights the fact that you've got non professional coaches coaching our games elite. Uh, I don't know how it works. I don't, name me another sport where you have non-professional coaches, and what I mean by that is they're not day-to-day NRL coaches that coach the most elite, I guess, um, games or the most elite competitions within a sport. It doesn't happen in any other sport. 
on the planet, and yet we do it. I, you know, the fact we had to wait for, you know, 6.30 so Freddie could announce it on Channel 9 because he's in bed with Channel 9, and Channel 7's leaked the Latrell Mitchell. It's just, it's messy. It's It's been poorly, poorly managed, you know. We, we've had mail that, you know, the players knew last week. Well, the report... That, the that report they were in the side. Good mail was that all players and clubs were notified Thursday Which as is... they had to plan the flights because some guys flew but out. Okay, so on where Sunday. does the true fly? Because yesterday Brad Fittler gets in front of the media and says that the Latrell Mitchell decision was on the day decision. Well, this is what I'd confuse so where about does as it, well. Where does it? This because is what I mean. To plan ahead, for everyone to say that they know, they don't know. Yeah, but to plan ahead, they have to book the passports, do all the rest of that, like the flight. So some people we know for a fact. Oh, bullshit. Were they would book. They would book the the seats on the flight, and then they would fill the details in later. Well, some that's, people, that's crap. some people knew well ahead of time. So all I'm yeah. saying, regardless of whether it was or it wasn't, I think he had a pretty bloody good idea of what he was doing. But I still think it's pretty poor that some people weren't at least called. Um, if if there was, but the other okay, the other side. And sorry to interrupt you, but the Roosters game finished is the last before. Game. Hang on, that. but finished before the side was announced. So how did he know what the side was? As if they were going to change it right then and there. They knew what the side was going to be. Yeah, but hang on a minute. But so Boyd Cordner's told him. When did Boyd Cordner find out? Well, Boyd Cordner clearly knew because he told him why he was on the field. Was my whole point. So they knew what was yeah, going on. Yeah, but then he's telling us that it was an on the day decision based on that game. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not having a crack here. I'm John, asking you, where, oh, like, I'm, how do we? I'm the same. How does that work? Who, how did Cordner know? Cordner must have known before kickoff. Well, he's then. the captain, so clearly he knows what the team was. And this is my point. It's all Chinese whispers. But again, where there's smoke, there's fire, and they're saying that on the field, Crichton only found it during his interview, and Latrell was told by Boyd Cordner straight after the game. That's ended. messy. So if that is the case, and again, and you know what the thing is here. If it, pick whatever fucking side you want for game two. No, no worries. If you've got to call these players in for game three. And this is my whole point. Then look out. If someone gets injured or you need to reach again, the problem is now you basically can't go back to Cody Walker. If you go back to Latrell Mitchell, you're going to have to give a pretty fucking decent apology, in my opinion, or, you know, just at least be straight down the line and have a pretty blunt conversation. Because if it was me, I just want your word. That's all I want. I want honesty just and I want man. blunt truth. So be a man. For Step all the up. talk. And there's too many people in rugby league don't want to have tough conversations. And my other thing here, everyone's still kicking Latrell Mitchell, saying he's in terrible form. How He had one bad game. Off off the ball, he's not playing well. And what I mean by that is when the camera's not on him, he's not moving in, he's not tying in defensively. To me, he doesn't look in league condition. In saying that, I still would have picked him in the team. Well, how there's many more other going on. do we have? There's more going on around Mitchell than what? What, what everyone's letting and on. And this is my other you know, side. Freddie and if Trent he... Robinson had the blue last week about, you know, Robinson sort of saying, well, this is the way I manage him and don't you butt your nose in. And I, I look, I think... And I agree with Robinson. Sta- I agree. I'm, I'm about to make that point. The States ha- don't understand how good they've got it. They, they go and pinch these players for three games for a week, yep. whereas Robinson's got to manage these guys for 40 weeks of the year across 30 games... And through ups and downs and breakups and bad form and good form and off-field incidents and everything that Family goes on in a 21-year-old's life. They take all of it. And to me, the States use and abuse that a little bit. Well, they do. And that's my whole point again on the side of if you're going to flick somebody, at least have the decency to do the phone call. If it and really, we don't know what, what was and If it really was say. last minute, well, then that's fair enough. And I hope there has been a phone call in between now and then to let him know. But we don't know for a fact if that's happened. But most of the mail of the reports is he refused interviews. He wasn't happy, and I don't think contact's been made, which would be highly which is disappointing. Poor. poor. I'd like to think that's not the case, and it's just a beat up. 
I don't know that for a fact. The other thing you'd is, want to think when you talk about centers, you've got Jack White and Tom Trebojevic, neither who play center for the club. And again, I've both seen, out of position. I've seen articles again today about this, or people write, and he played for Australia. Like he played a handful of games as a center. Jack White, uh, sorry, Tom Trebojevic. He's not purely played at center. All his junior. I don't think he's ever played center for Manly. It's in first been at grade, It's been on the oh, wing or fullback. Center defensively is very, very important. If mm. you flash back to last year and go watch games one and two, when a lot of people again tarred James Roberts for making poor decisions when it was Tom Trebojevic who come running in off the wing, he's going to be on even more scrutiny now because he is the man in the center and he's the one who position. has to pull the trigger. Yep. So I have confidence because he is a good player, but I tell you what, it's a bloody risk. And Jack Whiten, I played with down at Canberra and I think technically he's one of the best defenders I've ever seen. He's outstanding. But again, playing at centre, a lot of people are bringing up, oh, he's played at centre. He hasn't played at centre for almost four or five years. Mm. So I'm not saying he can't do that job. I'd have more confidence in Jack, though, than I would in Tom. That one I feel more comfortable with. But at the same he's time, played there previously. I but look again, at the attacking side of the ball and I'm just looking at that going, well, we've just blocked out unless we know there is some kind of understanding because we won't know. if Unless there is some kind of understanding between Freddie... Uh, Robinson and Latrell Mitchell and they've decided it was best they didn't play we have kicked out the best attacking centre in the competition Yeah, and probably our most destructive player besides Tedesco and Cook if we've got our top three game breakers for New South Wales he was one of them and yeah, he's great. now not in our team so yeah. that's, that's a critical blow so let's see if the actual truth around that comes out yeah Tackle four, culture. We spoke about this last year that they wanted to go for higher character and all these bits and pieces and players that weren't distracted we all know that this year, obviously, DeBellum was never going to be considered given his situation. But you could question somewhat, like we said, if they've considered Dugan, Ferguson or Lodge. I know some people are unhappy with Whiten because only six months ago or in the off-season he was in trouble. But now we do have, uh, obviously, Jack, if you're unhappy with that, now Ferguson back mm-hmm. in the team. So have they already flipped well, as a result of a, needing to win? A no dickhead policy. It's probably important that we address Queensland here as well because Queensland's culture for so long has been pick and stick. And I had a bit of a run-in with a guy at work today about this, and my argument was, well, Queensland definitely have a better culture of picking and sticking, but you also need to remember they've got a lot less players to select from yeah, they don't across have the board. Pool. They've also gone through a period in the last 10 years where why would you change your fucking well, team? You don't need to around that spine. You can put whatever um, you need around it, they get the job you know, done. Mal Meninga sort of stuck through a very, very difficult period around 04, 05, uh, sorry, 05, 06 when that run started where the side was going terribly. And I remember the ultimatum before game three, win this game or this is your last origin game. So I guess the pick and stick theory is fantastic when you're winning. And mm. Queensland have done that, you know, 11 out of the last, or 12 out of the last 14 or whatever it is. So it's very, very easy to be um, loyal. What I have an issue with is we've lost nothing so far. We've lost one game in Queensland, which is exactly what we did last year. And we've already hit the panic button. So culturally, I do think we panic. I do think we lack trust. I do think we lack faith in the players that we select. Uh, and then I look at someone like Nathan Cleary and um, James Maloney, and I just wonder how much faith we put into them. Have we put too much faith and trust into them? Because at the moment, to me, and you know, I know Nathan, and I've coached at the, I coached at Penrith for ten years. I don't know James Maloney from a bar of soap, but they've won four in a row. Yes, um, but. The fact, cold hard facts are that they haven't been in the best form this year. Is it a case of... I, I think the biggest fly in the ointment here for New South Wales is Luke Keary falling over because that's just Huge. thrown... And that that's whole left edge. Our whole halves conundrum just up in the air. And sorry and to interrupt Mitchell on Pierce what you were just well. saying, but that knock-on effect, as I said, game one, unlocks that whole left yeah, edge. You've got Boyd Cordner, Luke Keary, Latrell Mitchell with yep. Tedesco. 
everything would have been so much a completely much different player to Walker. And he's a running threat yeah. like Walker as well as a ball player. So I just I think we're trusting some players too much and we're having too little trust in other players. I think we pick and choose when we want to apply our pick and stick policy. Yeah. Queensland, I think, are pretty consistent with it. Yeah. Um, so culturally, yes. I, and it was an no dickhead policy. We're not picking Ferguson. We're not picking Dugan. We're not picking whoever. You know, if you're off, off-field incidents and off-field behaviour isn't good, we're not going to pick you in the in the origin side. I wouldn't have a problem if they pick Lodge because I think Lodge has been good for the last 18 months. Well, Ferguson he's done his crime, the same done his time, time, though, would you say that he's done his time now? No. Uh, yeah, well, because what he, concerned me with Ferguson was I want to play origin. He, he came out and said something along the lines, I want to play origin because the only thing I, I haven't won, won a series. And I thought, year. well, that's, that's a lot about you. Yeah. It's not a lot about the team. And I noticed yesterday the first thing he said to the media is, I'm you know, this isn't about me, it's about the state. So yeah. him and Freddie have obviously gone on the same page, and I think that's important. But is that lip service or does he truly mean it? Because you know that players can give lip service. We'll see by his actions on the well, field. That's what we have managers and there's media managers in teams and team yeah. managers for that reason to basically point you in the right direction. Yeah, that that gives you a little, in, little insight into culture. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. Tackle five, we will go through the lineup for the last two tackles. So on the Queensland side of thing, as far as their lineup is concerned, there's been two forced changes. Other than that, uh, they are as per they were game one. So Callum Ponga is obviously the fullback. The wingers, Dane Gagai and Corey Oates. The centers again, Michael Morgan, Will Chambers, the halves, Cameron Munster, Daly Cherubins, the front row, Josh Papali, and I'm going to assume now that Napa will push in to start. Yeah, he's going to. The back row. said that this afternoon. Yep, will be Felice Cafusi and Matt Gillette, and the lock again is Josh Maguire on the bench. And by, he plays that second game. I don't think he'll play a big part again unless needed. David Fafita, uh, I thought he was great in his short stint. He has that ability, as we said, to play anywhere from center, second row, middle. Jared Wallace recalled, I think, from a leg speed perspective. I can understand this one. Tim Glasby in the squad, uh, as much as I know he's, he's done a couple of solid jobs for him there, I wouldn't have picked Glasby. Uh, on form, I would have gone with Christian Welch, who is the 18th man, yeah. to give at least a semblance of the we leg speed that they got out of Napa, and obviously they got out of Offerhand Gowie in game one. I don't think Glasby brings that leg speed or that impact off the bench, and they've carried a, 20, a 19th and 20th also in Edric Lee and Corey Norman for experience. Uh, obviously... We're not going to really have to talk about this because the two changes were forced. Jairo, 6 to 12 weeks. It's a really, really bad syndesmosis injury. You can't do nothing about that. Uh, and obviously, offhand, Gary, that deep cut. Do they lose something? I think they do. I think they've lost a little bit of leg speed in that regard. And in Jairo, you've lost a guy that just is a machine, has good footwork, possibility of offloading. And I think he was really growing into it after only a couple of games. But mm-hmm. uh, Napa are obviously going to bring more aggression from the start. I think they've lost a bit off their bench, though. They have. They really have. Their bench, but... I thought we had them on the bench in game one. I think our bench is even better game two. Yeah, and they do um, a good job. But I do think positionally they've probably picked a better bench than what we have, with the exception of Mbai. And I think Mbai is there to cover them. And I don't think Kevin Models will put him on the field unless he absolutely has to, which gives and him more changes for his other three. And you know, unlike us in game one, their back rowers are going to play 80 unless they have to come off. Correct. So straight away, all their substitutions are reserved purely for their middle fields, middle, yeah. which is... Exactly and they know that that's where the game's going to be won and lost. Exactly. Uh, on the New South Wales side of things, there's been a fair few changes. I'll run through the side first, and we'll talk about the changes for tackle six in our set of six. James Tedesco, fullback again, no surprise there. Josh Addo-Carr. And Blake Ferguson recalled on the other wing, the centre pairing, a brand new pairing, Jack Whiten and Tom Trebojevic. I'm assuming Jack Whiten will play on the left as he does at club, and Tom Trebojevic, when he's played centre and wing in his handful of games, has played on the right, which would make sense. Uh, The halves pairing, James Maloney, 
Nathan Cleary, the front row, Paul Vaughan and Daniel Safedi, along with the hooker, Damian Cook, the back row, Tyson Frizzell, Boyd Corner, and the lock is Jake Trebojevic. The bench, Cameron Murray, obviously there, and then three new faces, a debutant in Dale Finucane, who I thought should have been there probably in game one. Wade Graham recalled after only two games, but my God, what are two games he's played? Yeah. And Tarek Sims has recalled, and in all honesty... With the lack of form in our front rowers right now, and a lot of people are blowing up about that call, I don't really have a problem with it because no. I think this game suits him down to the ground. The environment suits him down to the ground. And the bloke, in all honesty, on a football field is just a prick. So I think he's a little bit of what we need along with Wade Graham, who not only brings that bit of mongrel, but it brings back a guy who has the ability to play anywhere from six to centre, has a bunch of different roles, can help out the halves, can put a kick in on the last play, can ice a halfback as well, and I think we've got two pricks in him and Sims who are going to do a bit more roughing up, which is something we lacked in game one. Yeah, um, That's our set of six, but I guess talking about it before we get into our preview so much of the game and how we think things, things will go, three force changes, so fair enough. You had to make some changes, all right? So mm-hmm. David Clemmer, we know he was out. Uh, you've obviously got Payne Haas, who was forced out with a hamstring injury after I thought he played okay on the weekend. And Kotrick had a knee in the game and then hurt his ankle the other night. It looks like he's going to be out. So those three changes, I'm looking at it, and realistically the replacements they came up with were Safidi, Dale Finucan, and Tom Trevojevic. So originally I thought, okay, I'm somewhat fine with two of those changes if Tom goes back on the wing and I thought Morris did nothing wrong to lose his spot and or vice versa if he kept Luttrell. Um, and I also thought Whiten as the utility wasn't such a bad idea, but... Dale Finucane, no problem with that. To play as a middle middle and front rowers, locks are interchangeable now. I know a lot of people are still banging on that drum. The bloke runs as hard as anyone. He's an absolute action defence. He's got the perfect attitude and energy to bring to this game. Clemmer for Safidi, I think, is a bit of a reach. But at the same time, if you want to talk about the front rowers, we've got to pick from. Yeah, we don't have a lot. Tarmow, Regan Campbell-Gillard hasn't been in great form. I think Lodge would have been right on the borderline there of Safidi. But if this pick has come purely off that one game against South where... He stood up to the Burgess brothers. Full credit to him. But on the weekend against Melbourne, I thought he went to butter. Mm. He played 47 minutes. He only made 60 metres. Uh, and I thought he was owned by, again, two quality front rowers, obviously, in Nelson and Asofasol and Jesse Bromwich. But at the same time, uh, you know, that, that, that was a big game on the weekend and I didn't think he was great. He's put a lot of faith into Sofidi, so, that's for sure. I hope he, I hope it does pay No, so I'm do not I. Now, now they've picked the team, I don't, I'm with him. Let's go. I'm like, with him, 100%. Support him. We obviously still have to But we need to it. critique it, that's right. The other changes, like I said, the Morris one, which is basically, to me, Jeez, he's forced out Ferguson. Yeah. I, I think that's a bit harsh and I hope there was a phone call. In that situation, I'm sure there was, but I don't think he could have done much more in game no, one. I didn't agree with that selection no. in game one, but I thought he played well. Neither of us did, but I think he did his job. Uh, Tarek for Angus, I have zero problem with. Again, well, I, I do a little bit. I thought Crichton was okay in origin. I thought he was okay. Again, I wouldn't have picked him, but I thought when he he played more minutes than Frizzell. I left him on the field forever. Yeah, he stuffed up the near change, though. I, I think we need someone, like I said, with some mongrel. Look, I, I get it. I don't have a problem with it, but I just I have a problem when you pick them when you shouldn't, and yeah. then you drop and then them, you when, drop you them when you shouldn't. Mm. And Tarek, I think, again, he brings that ability. Like if, you drop, said. if you drop those two blokes, and he didn't pick Morris and didn't pick Crichton to start with, we wouldn't be talking about yeah. it. Yeah, Tarek brings that ability, like we spoke about before, though. One of these guys last year that has just leg speed. Tarek he, played game three last year. Yeah, the ability to play middle and an edge, though. But he can play middle half. I get it. I, I get the versatility. So, it's good. Uh, Wade Graham coming back in. I have no problem with that again. We have the only utility. concern is his fitness. If yeah. he's got to play 80, there might be a concern, but he shouldn't have to well, play. I think having Tarek and Dale there and Murray, we've got enough players to kind of rotate how we need to. Um, and the other one, 
Obviously, on the backside of that is Latrell Mitchell dropped. We don't know the ins and outs of that, but I hope that it was a mutual agreement. If it was a mutual agreement and they've all come to the conclusion that it was best he didn't play and he's not in the right headspace, that's mm. fine. If it was purely just a dropping um, and, you know... Well, Gus publicly called for it. Not didn't call for him to be dropped, but said if he's distracted, then you need to move on and pick someone yep. else. So I think that was overplayed a little bit, but maybe Freddie's taking that advice. It's a big gamble. That's all we can say. It's, it is a real big gamble. I would have went with him, but we don't know all the ins and outs. So unless he's, you know, completely off track at the moment and wasn't in the right headspace and they weren't willing to have him there, I guess we're going to have to go with the reshuffle. And Cody Walker, I guess, on the flip side. Like he's been hard done by. Just said before, he got one game. Um, he played in a completely different setup where they split the field. No football went there. Even if it did go there, I don't think he would have been helped out a whole lot by Luttrell and that. It wasn't exactly a great night. And I thought... Rewatching the game a second time, any touches he did have, I didn't have a problem with. Yeah. He cut back inside a couple of times. He set up a trial when he was put back on late. I thought defensively he held his own. He would have he done as good a job as what Maloney would have done. Yeah. And I think he put a nice kick in at one point that Latrell and Adokar didn't chase that should have been a repeat set. So yeah. um, for any opportunities he did get in that game where we played to the middle. I think he definitely part, got a pass mark. He did. He wasn't outstanding. Yeah. He nah. wasn't terrible, but he fell somewhere probably in the middle. But a bit hard done by, you'd think, in dropping. So, yeah. looking at those, um, yeah, Dale, Tarek, Wade, got no problem with those ones. The center centers and the way that's worked out, uh, maybe there's more to it. I think the, the trail one, you can read into what you will because we don't know the ins and outs, but I think Morris was a bit hard done by. Yeah. And the other three changes were forced. So, now we've had a look at those lineups and gone through the changes and whatnot. Uh, both teams, Queensland, as we said, no real surprises. New South Wales overall, what's happened? I'm happy with most of the changes. I thought there's a couple of blokes hard done by, but your thoughts on the New South Wales team? Uh, I don't love it. I didn't love it. I think it's a, there's some panic selections there. There's probably some selections that should have happened round one. I don't like picking... You know my theory about picking players out of position. I, I'm not a fan of it at all. Uh, however, I'll just get behind this side. I'll get behind Maloney and Cleary. They did the job for us last year. Uh, now the challenge is their legacy is going to be remembered for what they do this year. So um, I think Perth, it's the neutral venue. I think this is it's game two, clearly, yep. but this is the, the game I think that's vitally important for both states. Queensland aren't going to want to come to ANZ. We said one this before all. game one. This is the one so you want to win. This is, this is the key game in the series. I, I just There's a sense of panic. Uh, I, look, I like uh, Fittler's... Um, I guess his reasoning in that he goes, well, I'm just going to pick a side. I know the guys are going to go there and get the job done. I know what I'm going to get from these guys. And and I like that that's where his head's at. Yep. Uh, because it is a, a different week in that it's a short turnaround. They've only just arrived in in Perth as we speak. Like We're recording this early evening on Monday. Uh, so theoretically, you're going to have your captain's run on Saturday. You're probably going to get two decent long field sessions in. So... You know, and and of that, you're probably going to get two hours worth of quality building combination. So in in that two hours, you've got to get a lot done. And I think the familiarity is gone with. I understand. So I probably I'm probably on the fence with the team. Yeah. And look, I'll get behind him. I'm not going to get on here and bag the fuck out of him post game about selections. That he's picked them now. Let's ride with them. What what I really am interested to see is how how this team plays from a coaching and tactical perspective, that's the thing and I've how the interchanges work. Right, that side of it. So, and that's the first thing I look at when I, I the first thing I look at when I and I see a selected team is the bench. Well, I'm going to make a, qu- a point right now, and sorry to interrupt. 
to me, you cannot start with both those front rows. No. You have to have Dale probably start because he's not a bench Tom, player. Uh, Jake to move up to front row. And you take either Vaughan or Safiti back to the bench. Realistically, I wouldn't be starting Safiti. Um, yeah, I, I think, think Vaughan's now a lead front row. He's got to play probably 55 minutes in this game for me. Well, he can. He's got the minutes. He can. In, of course, he can. I just don't. Freddie's got to trust. You can't him to start do it. these two together and have that bench rotate because with all those guys that are middle slash back rowers and Fanukin mm. purely in middle and Murray purely in middle, it means that Frizzell has to go to the middle. One of those guys has to come. There's too much chopping and changing. So to start with, I think we need one of those guys on the bench. Um, I agree. And I would agree. There, there are if, only standalone props, unless, as you say, you move Jake up and he can play prop. He's played plenty of prop for me. I think that will happen. Move I really Dale do. in. Dale also stiffens you up yeah, defensively. defensively. And for the starting period, you want him out there because I think he brings Makes a great energy. And... A little bit more mobile as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I think that is probably something that's going to happen. I'd, yeah, I don't know how I'd go with which player I'd sit. But I'd I, sit look, I think, I think Vaughn's got to play two 25-minute stints. Simple yeah. as that. He's got to play a good 50, 55. And I think to the point you made before, of obviously him knowing what he's going to get, I think Morris, you knew what you're going to get. But I guess on the flip side of needing to win this game and not knowing about Cody Walker, you know, fitting in again in game two or where Latrell's head's at, Jack has been in form. Obviously, Maloney's been there before. And regardless of what I think of his form, Maloney's been in multiple teams, led him to grand finals in an origin. I guess the one good thing about James Maloney is he doesn't give two fucks if he knocks the ball on, misses a tackle, gives away a penalty or throws an intercept he'll go straight back for the jugular. So on yeah. that side of things, I guess we will get more attack out of him and you know he's going to attack the game. So if he goes down in flames, so be it. But I can understand, again, like you are saying, short turnaround, club combination, a guy who's done it before. But the main thing is it's just water off a duck's back if something goes wrong. He, you know he's going to throw some punches. So yeah. um, from that side of thing, I'll be interested to see how it goes. New South Wales, uh, as we're talking about, on that point, the right side of the field, Cleary, Frizzell, Tom and Ferguson, we had a lot of football that we tried to run in that first game down that right-hand side. It looked like they were trying to get after Morgan and obviously test out Daly Cherubins after that long-term injury. We got a little bit of love going at Michael Morgan, just somewhat a little bit of doubt when we got some quick play the balls, but I think we overcooked it a little bit. Um, I think much like last year, uh, we won't be going to that right-hand edge as much in attack. I think most of the attack will be focused probably back to that left-hand side, which beggars the point of, obviously, we know that Maloney was basically the dominant half last year, got predominant amount of the football. Uh, he had Latrell Mitchell over that side of the field. What can he cook up with Jack Whiten? Jack Whiten is a strong runner of the football, but now playing predominantly as a half. Yeah. He's, he's going to have to give Jack the, the ball. He's not the player that Latrell is, I guess, with the ball. But the, the best part of his game, I still think, is his running game. Yeah. So it's a big job. But where you give him the ball has got to be a little bit different. Yeah. And, and I, how you give him the ball. He's got the ability to skip to the outside um, and obviously set up at O'Carr. So I guess that's a big thing. And Maloney's got a connection with Cordner, which is handier because game one, obviously him and Walker didn't really have too much in sync. The key to the field, simple, straightforward, is the same as it was for game one for New South Wales. If you get quick play the balls, it gets Cook going and it gets Tedesco into the game. If we get that going, that's the key to everything. If we don't win the middle of the field, we can't win this game. And I think game one, we blew some opportunities. Obviously, second half, we never even got a chance to play through the middle. We muffed the interchanges and we had no dominance at all. And I, I was quite disappointed, even with, despite the interchanges, just our general attitude and aggression. I thought we were well out enthused in that area. But um, the first half, when we were rolling and we got some quick play the balls, Damian Cook busted them up two or three times. Him and Tedesco were just caught out of position when they got through the line and couldn't link up together. But mm-hmm. that's the whole key to our game. Uh, and I obviously think, much like you've said, that the bench brings a different element this time around. 
Murray onto the field. I thought he was great in game one. He can bring those quick play the balls. You've got Wade Graham, depending on what role you want him to play, who can come on, push onto one of those edges, or just float around the middle of the field and play as an extra half and bring a bit of mongrel and aggression and get after halves. And Tarek Sims, whether it is onto an edge to push Frizz in or whether he plays purely a middle rotation between him and Dale, I guess, between those two front rowers and possibly have Wade purely as an edge or Murray playing for Jake Trebojevic. Tarek Sims is going to suit this game down to the ground. I know you said it the other week. You think he's overcomplicated things or thinking a bit too much at NRL. In this arena, you know what he's going to do. He's going to try and kill anyone who's wearing the opposite colour jersey. Yeah, I think we, we were talking about that watching the yeah. St. George game. When yeah. it was it last week? It was a Monday game. Before the podcast last week, we were watching the pure this, part of his game is just the aggression. Game. Yeah, he just needs to carry the ball and defend strong. Run that, hard at halves. Centers, no errors, quick play the balls. Get on inside, outside shoulder, bash a half back. And when he's about to kick yeah. the ball, let him know you're there. Yeah. And what he did to Colga last week is what we need come uh, Sunday. If Daly Cherevans is in his sights or if Cameron Munster's there, do it legally. But if you see one of those guys, you bury him. Yeah. And I think the flip side of that, um, with that bench being a bit dynamic and bring a point of difference for us and a bit more attack, I guess, in the middle third of the field and some leg speed and being much more mobile and aggressive is, to that point, last game we let them out of their end. Anytime we had an effective kick, mm. we didn't trap them. We gave them outlet passes. They played outside us and found a quick play the ball, so we need to do a better job killing their set starts. And the other one's that left edge where Ponga pulled his part in the second half and we held off. If you think it's going to Ponga or you're caught short, you go. You fire in and you bury him as well. Mm. And you put him on the ground. Because much similar, like you cannot just let things unfold for him and Munster in particular on that left. No, our kick chase has got to be a lot better. That's one area we really have to improve. That's a non-negotiable. It's one of those things in that cycle. Um, you know, when you're trying to apply pressure to a team, uh, your kick chase is just vital because it, it nullifies the start of their set. If they start the set coming forward and landing on their front, the rest of the set's very, very difficult to control. And that might sound a little bit like coach talk and you know, I don't want to complicate things. but It is, though. Yeah, the, if you lose more, one ruck, how often can, do you recover the set? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get back. I don't know what it's about. Yeah, it is about losing the ruck. But I just think it's about having numbers in the picture and just solving anything potentially. Like Queensland don't throw those passes if we've got numbers in the frame yeah. and we've got players there because it's too big of a risk. And we Too often throw. we had one or two guys on kick chase and they just pass to the space. And the space is there because we don't have a consistent kick chase across the field. And also on your point, though, in yardage when we had him inside 10, we couldn't throw those passes second half because there was five, six blokes both sides of the ruck pushing up. And they were like, oh, we need to do what they're doing. You can't throw that ball under mm. pressure. Whereas I think we, the way we exit from yardage as well offensively is We're very, very negative. Important. We're very important. Very we just carry one out. out. You're going to get um, teed off on. Exactly. I think the sooner we can we can do the what Queensland have done and pass in the middle of the field and split the field in half mm. and have our halves just pushing up on the ball, the better we're going to be. And those guys lead with that attitude. Like Tarek is the lead aggressive guy in that sense. Dale Finucane really leads from the front and the middle as far as line speed and energy and intent and obviously Wade Graham yeah. brought that the other night. So we've got a couple of guys there I think that bring a bit more sting and a bit more natural leadership on that defensive side of the ball, which is something we definitely need. Uh, but I guess the key point is how those two edges are going to operate. Maloney's definitely going to be in control. Um, I think clearly goes back to playing that second fiddle role as he does. You know, he's going to defend strong. He'll probably put up a few of those stinker bombs and do his job there. But on the ball, I think Maloney's going to completely and utterly try and dominate this game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, don't know what we're going to get out of those edges. The bench, like we said, I'm very interested to see how they work that in. But um, yeah, that's about all I've got from the New South Wales side of things. And the middle of the field is the key for Cook and Tedesco. But for Queensland... I guess the force changes don't really change a whole lot bar maybe losing a bit of leg speed off the bench. But 
for them, I think it's going to be basically the same as last time. They're, you know, we, we tried to get after Hunt. That didn't really work out. He proved to do a good job in the middle uh, for being a smaller forward pack. They worked really, really well together. They gelled together. Their line speed was much better. Their edges cooperated much better, and they got in. They were much more aggressive. Um, as far as the bench rotation, I think it's pretty straightforward. We know what we're going to get. Mbai is not going to be used if he's not needed. Mm-hmm. Simple and straightforward. For feeder. Wallace, Glasby, and if Glasby's out for Welch, they're basically all going to be playing middle rotations unless Fafita needs to replace an edge player. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at Josh Maguire, Papali, Napa being rotated through at different periods for those three guys. So simple and straightforward. They're going to try and maintain the rage in the middle part of the field. Ben Hunt showed us last time that if we're not accountable, he will run. He'll get blokes out of the advantage line. And he's also got the ability, like he did play for, he snapped that 40-20. So we can't underestimate the fact that he may kick a couple of times in this game. I think the left side, we already know what we're going to get out of them. Munster is going to be coming there relentlessly. Pong is going to be sweeping around on that side of things as well. They're going to bash Felice again at Cleary like they did last game. I thought he did a really, really good job, but Manny took a pummeling, and Felice was huge in that last game. But the big key here, obviously, is how Tom and Ferguson defend on that outside and the decisions they make. Because mm. those guys up against Morgan and Oates... Uh, whether Morgan is not a centre or not, he's a dangerous boring. And we all know that Corey Oates, if he gets a one-on-one, Ferguson is a big body, but Corey Oates is pretty bloody hard to stop. So those two are really, really going to be key as to how they hold up. And they can't bite in too early and they can't panic and jump in front of the back rower because if they do, you know that Pongo and Munster can tear you apart. Well, ideally, they just... We solve the middle first. Yeah. We, we just allowed too many quick play of the balls. Our contact was pretty poor across the board and in it, game one and it just hurt us on the edges. That's... You pinch time and you pinch space defensively when you win in the middle of the field. And what you're saying is exactly what didn't happen. Our markers or a man in the middle couldn't tie across to help our outsides and yeah. that opened up in the second half for Ponga and Munster to play the way they did. Yeah. And Munster, even in the first half, were very passive on tying in or working from marker. If you get a one-on-one with Munster, it doesn't necessarily need to lead to a try or a line break, but he just breaks tackles at will. Mm. And we saw him get second efforts or second phase and break our line down multiple times because he just got to a back row or a half on his own. And even when things break down, he just skips off, fends another bloke, chucks another person out of the way, dips him behind the lot. Like, he's just a pain in the ass. So that there needs to be a better influence on, you know, marker pressure or players tying in and get the extra numbers to solve that left-hand edge in particular mm-hmm. and let those guys know that it's going to be a rough night if they want to engage or get in the line. Yeah. Uh, from a middle perspective for them, speaking of Hunt and those mobile forwards, they're going to target Safiti. Um, you know, I think... Vaughan, Cook, those guys have showed what they can do. I think Dale, when he comes on Murray, et cetera, they can all hold their own in the middle. But if there's one guy, I think they're going to give plenty of traffic when he's on the field to try and really test him out because we know it's a quicker game and it's his first time. When Safiti's on the field, I think they're going to go after Safiti. And more particularly, if he does start, which I hope he doesn't, I'd rather bring him off the bench. I think Hunt and playing a guy like Papali at him, where Papali's built like a baby rhino, but he's got great feet and he's got the ability to create second phase. So that's the kind of guy, Maguire, just relentlessly get at him, niggle him early and try and work him over. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously come back to the middle, Callum Ponger. And, you know, I think it's pretty obvious. Daly Cherry Evans controlled things beautifully. As we said, game one, a lot of people who probably have no clue were bagging him out, saying he didn't play well. He did a great job. He steered the team around. He kicked really well. Um, he was very, very composed. And it just releases everybody else. It lets Munster and Ponger do what they need to do. And he got a bit extra help from Dummy Half, having Ben Hunt there as well, where they've got that ability to flip the field or to swap positions there and link up together and move the football relentlessly. And they threw a lot more at us in attack because they had the ability to do so through those key players. Mm-hmm. The right-hand side, 
Uh, you know, they had some love in game one with Chambers and Gagai, Gillette. He just basically got through plenty of defensive work. But I think Whiten's more than capable of doing a job on Will Chambers. I think he'll, if the one thing I'm confident in Jack Whiten, it's him defensively. And I think Addo Carr will be more comfortable this time with Jack and the way he likes to defend and the way they defend at Melbourne as opposed to game one where Latrell Mitchell kept parking in the back pocket of his back rower and creeping in field and leaving him on an island. But at the same time, Addo Carr can't creep or retreat, play three and four a lot like he did last time and tuck in. He needs to stay up at least until play four and then maybe tuck in, start to tuck in there. But they, they were well out of sync game one. Well out of sync game one. Mm. But if, no, I, if, I agree, agree with everything you said. I, mm. I, look, I think the make or break in this game is how well New South Wales defend. Because, you know, Queensland have just... And particularly they'll, they'll, the edges, because they, they will go defend, both ways. They defend with their effort, Queensland. They yeah. might not have the same ability, or level of ability or sight, whatever. They, they'll just fucking They're get relentless. there. They always get there. Uh, but New South Wales, they've got to be better in that regard. They've yeah. got to be better controlling the start of the set. We've got to be more aggressive. The one comment, you know, I've still got your words ringing oh, in my ear. It's shit we're not, when we're right not, um, We're not aggressive enough. We don't match them with our aggression. And... You demonstrate your aggression with your defence. And what pisses me off about it is what I said to you. Again, I'm no well-bearded when I played. The one thing I, I prided myself on, and particularly when I got older because I didn't really grow to be as big and I still played in the middle, if you're going to lay down the gauntlet and bash someone in the middle or they're going to give it to you, you need to fucking give it back. Yeah. And if you don't buy into that contest, you've lost straight away. If blokes know they can get over the top of you, we saw that for 30 minutes in the second half. They relentlessly pummeled the shit out of us. They were off the line. They had numbers in. Threes, fours, they were dumping us, they were whacking us, they were making second efforts, and we did nothing to respond. Yeah. Part of that was the interchanges, but at some point, you need to be offended by the fact you're getting beaten up and do something about it. We didn't go down on a kick chase and bury Ponga or drag somebody or buy in. The best effort we came up with was Payne Haas throwing a couple of stupid jabs to his teammate, giving away a shit rack penalty and inviting him down our half. That's not the way you respond. Mm-hmm. You respond by burying someone. Exactly Imprint right. his fucking ribs on your shoulder and tell him to come get him back. Like, that's one thing, like you said, you've seen more origin than me, but from day one, Queensland buy into that side of it better. They buy into that mental side, the the pride kind of side of it, like us versus them. As far as the walk part of it or the mentality or willing to spill blood, they buy into that better than we do. And I'd like to think with a couple of those changes that we find a bit more ticker and, yeah, just fucking ramp up in that side of the game. And it, makes me, it still makes me angry talking about it. It really does, but... They've got threats both sides of the fields. If their middle does, as we said in game one, holds up, gets some second phase and gets through it, they're going to come both edges. And rightfully so, with that centre pairing, guys that haven't played there a whole lot, they're going to be tested. And of course, me mentioning that Jack Whiten's going to have to do a good job defensively, he's going to have to do a good job defensively more so now and Boyd Cordner because James Maloney misses more tackles than any other half. So... You know he's going to jump You've in front. You've got a target. Yeah, there's a massive target there. I've always said it. I'll give him credit because he always jumps in front. He never doesn't try, but his technique's horrible and he's a small bloke. Yeah. We saw it the other night when he jumped up on the trampoline and head hide somebody. Like, he, his technique is shit. Um, and rightfully so. I'm never going to question his heart, though. He's a tough bugger, mm. but he's a defensive liability. And they're going to play to that edge and try and get at him. They're going to run, I think, in more particular. I'm not saying Pongo doesn't sweep back to that right. But I think they'll try and incorporate that Brisbane play that they tried in game one where they bring Corey Oates off that left wing and he sweeps him behind like a fullback and almost runs that sweet line to like a tight line inside Cherry Evans' shoulder when it looks like they're going to play out to a centre. Um, they didn't score off it. We shut it down. But if they get somewhere with inside 10 or 15, I don't think they're just going to load up that side and try and run a sweet play with Ponga. I think they'll try and get some sort of deception, maybe show that long side to the left 
and then get Corey Oakes to maybe whip back around and try and get at him. But uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of areas that are going to be tested out for New South Wales with all those changes. And d- defense is the key for us. But for Queensland, you know what's going to happen. Cherry Evans is going to control the ship. Ponga, Munster, they're going to try and come up with everything. Their middles are going to be aggressive. They're going to try and hold things down, get some second phase, and they're going to throw the kitchen sink and try and break us down and make us make a poor read in defence on the edges. Plain yeah. and simple. And their set starts are always better for some reason. Because much the same again, that one-out carry or that ability to throw that pass or be a bit more risky in yardage, they just seem to do a better job getting out of their own end. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. I, it's It looks a pretty easy game to know where it's going to be won and lost, this one. All right. Queensland are going to improve, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt, particularly in the key positions. But it's whether New South Wales allow them the time and space to execute on the edges, and that's, to me, the key. I think we've given... We need to play... Like, to me, the best two players on the field for New South Wales or the most impactful two players on the field uh, for New South Wales need to be Cook and Tedesco. And again... And that means we've won the middle. That means exactly what you just said, and the bench guys that come in and do a job, or our edges Maintain get in. Maintain the rage in the middle, baby. Get a set starts and just help out full stop. But rucks need to be rolling. If rucks get rolling and we get those two guys involved in the game, I have no doubt that Jimmy can step up in this arena as he's done before and things can work off him as well. But more particularly, Cook and Tedesco need us to lay a platform. Mm-hmm. And Queensland, they've got threats with that spine all across the park um, and on both their edges, and they're definitely going to test out Tommy and Jack in particular. You can guarantee that. But I think that's pretty in-depth, what I've said. Uh, and like you said, as a New South Wales fan, I've seen a lot of the anger and the blow-ups and all the bits and pieces, but given the force changes and then the two or three others, like we said, we've gone through it. Unfair or not, you have to get behind them. If you're a New South Wales fan, we just get behind them. Look, let's hope that, as we've spoken about earlier, you know, Cody might have been a bit mentally scarred from game one, uh, rightly or wrongly part of it done by the New South Wales setup. Is Latrell Mitchell's head in the game? I don't know. But let's just hope Tom, who's had a ripper game on the weekend, comes in, does a good job. Jack, who's been in great club form, comes in, does a good job. Jimmy Maloney just wore off a duck's back, eats up all that hate and has a good game as well. Mm. We've just got to hope that all those guys have a good game and Safidi comes up with a good game on debut as well. Um, Wade, Tarek, Dale have no doubt they'll do their job. But those few other guys, just get behind your state, get behind your team. Absolutely. Now, prediction time. As we always do, winner and by how much? First try scorer and a man of the match. So, Brock, will you be backing Queensland again in the neutral venue or will you be going to no, New South Wales? No, I'm backing the Blues. Uh, I think the factor that really needs to be considered here is the the need to win. Yeah. The need to win. So, um, New South Wales by? Um, I'm going to say six. Who is your first try scorer? Uh, I'll say Josh Adokar. And your man of the match, probably going to be Cook or Tedesco, I'm yeah. guessing, again, talking um, about what we just spoke. Either or, I'll probably say Cook. Fair enough. I don't want to be the party pooper, but I'm going to go Queensland. I think I think we'll give a great account of ourselves. And in my head, much like you today, I I just have this real vibe that with those, some of those guys we've put in that we, we might turn up mm. and throw the kitchen sink at them. But from what I saw from game one, I think Queensland can definitely improve as well. And I thought they were a bit sloppy in some areas. Um, the changes, I hope they don't backfire. I think it's going to be a very tight game, but I'm going to go Queensland by four, and I'm going to go the double up on the try scorer and the man of the match in Cameron Munster. I think Cameron Munster potentially heading down that edge, um, if they hold up in the middle and do a good enough job, could have himself a bit of a night out mm-hmm. and get him over the line. And I, I think he was really, really good in the last game. Just seems to be growing more and more into that arena. But 
I'll happily be wrong, and I can I can easily see everything like you've said on the flip side of things as well. So um, deep down inside, I'm hoping New South Wales get the job done because also for a game three for us, I don't want to be going to a dead fucking rubber. No. So <laughs> no, <laughs> fingers crossed, we're not friend. going to a dead rubber. Um, there you go. Origin preview wrapped up. Set of six, all based around those points of origin, all these topics that people have been talking about. Looking at both the lineups and uh, some in-depth looks at all aspects of the game box head. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom. That, before we jump into the review of round 14, was brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre. We're both on board with that side of things. Solar panels, it's a must, Brock. It is an absolute must. Good for the bills. Good for your back pocket. Long-term planning with the increasing power bills just constantly heading up. No doubt about that. They are, big boy. Jake and the boys there at Penrith Solar, get on board. And if you want to know what's worse than seeing your team cop the wooden spoon this season, it's getting slapped with a rising power bill that puts you more on edge than an origin decider. Hey, hopefully we get one. Penrith Solar Centre are Western Sydney's leading solar specialist to help local families take control over their bills. Let the sun work for you, your home, and your back pocket. Contact Penrith Solar Centre today on 1800 20 to discuss how you can become the real winner this season, www.penrosolar.com.au. A few people have jumped on board. If you haven't and you're considering getting panels, look no further. They are the best team in the business. Uh, no power rankings this week, Brock, despite the results. It's pointless again during this time of the year with teams affected. But running through these games, first one, uh, the one we did, obviously, the game companion for, Raider Sharks on Thursday night and I think this by the end of it as we said was a, a tale of two teams basically doing the exact same thing and then being a bit gun shy at the end Cronulla basically lit themselves on fire for the first 20-25 minutes errors penalties giving away possession territory some poor edge decisions in Canberra found some love down that end of the field um, Caesar fell over the line a couple of passes and found their way outside the outsides we didn't quite know what Cronulla were doing whether they were sliding whether they were holding whether they were jamming once possession flipped back the other way Canberra did much the same thing. Um, they made some poor edge decisions. Dugan come up with a try. Chad Townsend put a nice kick in behind and nullify when they jammed. On the other edge, Ueli went straight through when they were holding and they were passive. They basically went mirror images of each other for 20, 25 minutes. The last 20 or so minutes, though, the Sharks looked like they had opportunities. They gave away a couple of penalties that were probably questionable from Klein. I thought he was a bit harsh in that situation. Canberra, on the same token, kind of struggled to close things out and looked a bit gun-shy as well. But at the end of the day, the penalty goal was the difference. Um, and I think both those teams moving forward are going to improve considering they've had injuries. They've got players coming back into their lineups. They've been constantly disrupted. Um, but I think the big point for us on the Sharks side of things is we don't think Sean Johnson should have played given the hot hand they had with Kyle Flanagan for the last four or five weeks and considering the fact that Johnson could have had an extra week off heading into the bye round now and been well rested and you just kept running the way you were. So I, I think he didn't have a great night. And again, what did you expect after having such a long period out? Well, exactly right. Um, I think you've just you've covered the majority of it. Um, what more to say? Well, on that flip side, Ueli re-signed. He was outstanding. He's showing some really, really good form. Braden Ueli. I thought Jack Williams and him made a real big difference coming off the bench. Dude, Jack Williams was good. He's he was great. He was strong. Look, we covered a lot of this in the you know yeah. for those of you that list the game the game companion, but. Again, it's the fifth and last curse. The blowout into the tie-up, into the close finish, which is a good, good little omen to have. Um, but Braden Ueli, you said it in the game companion, it, like losing the weight and being more mobile. Uh, he's aggressive. He, he just looks like it's, for feet or five years ago. You know what it is? And again, we see this with kids you have even at 
club footy. There's a point where you either buy into yourself or you don't. Mm. And I watched him play lower grades and he was a bigger boy and just thought, if this guy ever got fit enough, yeah, he really would make an impact. I didn't think to the extent he's making now, but he could be a regular first grader. And it looks like it's taken two or three years for the penny to drop. But now that he has, he's got mobility, he's got footwork, he's got the bump like you're talking about. It is somewhat a Fafita-style type of player. And he can hit that nice line. He does have an offload. Jack Williams' kick pressures, like you pointed out, in particular on the effort area, is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Blake's first full game after being picked, I suppose, as the favour over Jaden. I thought he had a good game as well. Um, Chad, they lost Sherry early on, which was a bit of a mishap. But I, I guess, for me, I'm not really worried about Cronulla. Still early days, getting players back. They've got Woods still to come. Um, I just think more disappointing is the fact the way they started the game. Canberra, uh, they've got players to come back as well. But I thought Josh Papali, he's been huge this year. He was massive again. Bateman getting involved with some of the stinks and leading from the front, trying to get stuck into going on a few guys. And I thought their halves uh, were, were pretty solid. Caesar's still working his way back into things. And Jack's obviously had a really good year. But moving forward, we set it on that uh, companion. I'm not buying into the bullshit that Ricky Stewart's selling about a halves rotation policy. No. You can't. No one has a halves rotation you're not, you're not allowed to rotate halves. You're going to pick one of them. You're going to stick with one of them. So by the looks of things, it's going to be Aiden Caesar. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, moving on from that one. Titans Warriors. Ugh. I'll give it much the same as last week. You more credence on this one, but topsy-turvy. Well, don't, don't, because I I borderline fucking smashed my remote. Back again. and forth again. Um, Warriors jumped out to Top an early zip. lead. Soft try to start off with from dummy half would have made you nice and angry. And <coughs> then Roger Excuse two of us at off the scrum, just turned everyone inside out and still yeah. had time to pass it on the outside to Ken Marmolo. But I guess on a positive side, you guys showed some fight. Riley Jacks. Squares up off a nice play, runs, gets himself in there, and then on last play, Bryce Cartwright throws a pass that I have no idea what he's doing, but they string together eight passes, and Moiaki Fotoaker shows a nice touch of hand to jump on the outside. Yeah. Head into halftime at 12 all. So uh, uh, that thing, good response. Second half, bit of an arm wrestle, a bit of back and forth, getting a bit sloppy, uh, and then the Warriors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Just kick out with two late tries there where Blake Green runs on fifth and last and gets in behind and sets one up. And then uh, there was another one that I'm trying to get stuck in my head here. No, that was the last one. That was the last try. Well, the one before Um, that was the shift play to Hiku then that got on the outside, but... The last one was where Green ran on the last tackle. Nathan Peets ran up, got nothing, left the hole, no one tied in. Yeah. Pass it to Sheck on the inside, scores under the sticks. And it's classic Titans. Get ahead, relax a little bit, make a dumb play, switch off, don't tie in defensively. Kosher. Yeah, and you had a chance late with about four had minutes to go. three sets on their line. Brimson, nice sweet play, finds himself Adam Blair through. Got, um, that was Adam a Blair shot. got Sinbin, so we were attacking their line. With 12 men too. Yeah, and he kicked the ball away with 20 seconds to go. That's when the remote borderline went through the wall. Well, game awareness, but, I guess. And we point. always get a couple of messages when the Titans have a shit loss. And I used to fire up. Now I just write back with, well, I expect what do you to expect? lose. So, so my expectations are very, very low. And if you notice from the people who are in Queensland or the people who follow the Titans closely, which is probably minimal people on this podcast, 
you would have noticed in the last week that Mel Meninga is now talking, doing a lot of the talking publicly for the Titans. He's doing just not, about everything. Not Garth Brennan, which if I'm a head coach of an NRL side and that starts to happen, yeah. not a good the, sign. The jockeying in the position here seems to be... Not a good sign. ...that Mel's taking full control of it. Uh, on that, not a great loss, disappointing uh, chance. Well, that's season over. That, that's season over now. If they, they could... They could have won that game. There, there was a way well, back. Touch. No, they're not. But they're gone. Can they win enough games? Then they're not going to be able to string four or five wins together. The thing here, I guess, is like you said, Malmaning has taken over. They're jockeying for position. They've got Tanner Boyd coming over from the Broncos, which I don't have a problem with. It's a good move development-wise and for price. Uh, you've got a million dollars sitting on the sideline. Callum Watkins, though, right? I, I know you're a Leeds fan, and I've watched Callum Watkins, and I, I think he's a good player, but I think... In Firstly, we don't need centres. Secondly, it's probably a little bit later than what you wanted to do. That was more my point. I yeah. was going to say, I love Callum Hawkins, but this is something that would have needed to happen three or four years ago when there yeah. was talk that Melbourne, the Sharks, everyone was looking at him. Right, look, because we're going to... Tyrone Peachy, it's, I think it'll happen this week. He'll go back to Penrith. Well, if you get him for half of what you're paying Peachy, that, I'm it's, worth, a win. it's worth the roll. It's dogs. a win. I, and I think that's what's going to happen. So we'll see what happens there. But I thought Wallace had a pretty solid game. Fotoaka continues to impress me. Uh, you know, Jackson... Roberts had some okay moments, but I guess it's more what you said. The ability to close out games and play for 80 yeah. minutes. And... It's just those little little plays. Yeah. The Warriors, no surprise. Sheck, outstanding every week. Ken Marmolo has been massive this year, and Parsi's having a pretty good year as well. Tigers-Cowboys, this was a crazy game. 27-26, went to Golden Point. Cowboys were awful to start with. It was another fifth and last game. 18-0, oh. back to 18-all or 20-18 to 18 or whatever it was. I was at a farewell, so I wasn't watching this so close. But early doors, I'm like, they're getting carved up on short sides. Mm. And blokes weren't tying in and their middles were sloppy. And after the first try, I'm like, okay, that's not a good start. The second one was a bit harsh. I thought they should have at least checked it where Masters got a touch, I thought, to that football. And then late in the half when the third one went in, it was 18-zip. Mbai picked up a loose ball. Nofalumi gets an early pass off a shift there and just crashes over. I'm like, this could be anything. Mm. Uh, the Cowboys just had zero patience, defended awfully, errors, kept chucking it away for some passes, play one, two, and to sum up probably their whole first half is the way they scored their first try. The Tigers made an error. They picked it up. It was a free play, I guess, but zero thought of <laughs> holding onto it. Michael Morgan just throws a grubber and gets a deflection, luckily, which puts it into Felt's arms, and they go into half time. Yeah. At 18 6 or 18 4. But at that moment, I was like, bloody hell, like, you've just picked it up on tackle zero. Yeah. And it was a 50 50 game. Look, it went to Golden Point. The Tigers had three or four pops at uh, field goal before they, they kicked their, the final one with Marshall, which is ugly as shit as well. But they got there. But there were a few. I thought the Cowboys copped a couple of dodgy calls. The one where it didn't get referred and it was it looked like a knock on yeah, from the, the Tigers. Touch. Uh, and the other one was a penalty try, which I totally disagreed with. Totally disagreed. When Chi got chinned. Got, got chinned. He was falling. It wasn't. Um, I don't think he attacked him deliberately to try and nah, stop him from but scoring. But he raked the ball out. So how can you say he was going to score? That's exactly right. Whether you chinned so him whether, or not, exactly. He ball, it actually so. made it harder for him to play at the ball for the fact that he made the high tackle. Yeah. And then they said that he he would have got it down. So I thought that was a horseshit call. I agree with Paul Green on that, but. Again, the Cowboys, it had nothing to do it was with them getting down to 18-0. Yeah. No. And I will say one thing for the Tigers, considering the points they conceded, they defended outstanding. They, yeah, only, they, they only missed 13 tackles, and it took some pretty scrappy plays for the Cowboys to score. It took a deflection off a zero-play kick. It took an inside switch play where a couple of defenders just kind of fell over, and Morgan picked that ball up and crashed over. So there was elements of luck in the Cowboys getting back in the game, but... The real big difference was the second half stint of Tamalolo. He had a pretty quiet first stint. I think oh. he only had 60 metres, but his second stint, he racked second up half. about 165. He went mental. 
It was crazy. It went absolutely fucking ballistic. Yeah. Um, Michael Morgan wasn't effective so much running the ball, but he came up with a nice pass and a couple of plays there that were needed. Kyle Felt's been a really good form since he's been back in grade yeah, as well. Has. But it's fair. Uh, I think the other one I think's been playing actually half decent considering they made so many reshuffles is Opachat. Yeah. But for the Cowboys, this is another one of those losses, like the close one against Canberra to start the year. Uh, they had another close one I can't think of quite off the top of my head a couple of weeks ago. They've still got six wins, so they're still on the precipice there. But considering the hard run of injuries, players missing and those close losses, will it bite them on the ass? I don't know. Mm. But they can't keep losing games. Well, it's games. an impactful game because they're right near the Tigers yeah. on the table. So. It's, it's a four-point game. or you know, Close enough too, yeah. A bit of a turnaround. For the Cowboys, um, yeah, I thought Brooks had a pretty good game. Not for Luma uh, since he's been back in. Clearly iced out maybe for attitude or training. I don't know what the deal was there, but he's made every post a winner since come back into first grade. Benji and Robbie. Um, as much as we thought at the start of the year, why would you bring him back? At this point in time, I don't think they've got replacements. And there's talk now they're both going to play on possibly for one more year, which in all right. honesty, if you can't get anyone, what are you going to do? Like, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think they're playing good enough football, but it's a bit like the NFL quarterback situation. Every year you've got teams like the Andy Dalton and Cincinnati and these other bits and pieces. And it's like, get rid of him, move on, draft someone. There's not enough of them. So sometimes you just kind of have to deal with what you've got for the time being until you can get something better. So in the Tiger situation here, I, I don't see him really as a, as a final side or a real threat. They might make the finals, but for next year, if these two guys come back and play the same and they can't get anyone else, why not? I watched Josh Reynolds play reserve grade on the weekend. He wasn't overly impressive, and he was limping after five minutes. So um, I can understand why they want to move that contract, but I don't think they're going to be, going to be able to. And the 18-year-old kid they signed from Newcastle, Jock Madden, played okay on the weekend, but again, he's an 18-year-old kid, so yeah. he's definitely not ready to come in and play first grade right now. But, yeah, solid win for the Tigers and one that was well needed. Storm Newcastle, 34-4, to six in a row is gone right now. It uh, wasn't exactly the greatest performance by either side. Uh, I thought Melbourne were a little bit sloppy, but if anything, speaks less of Newcastle's effort in this game because they still got blown off the park in all aspects, in all honesty. Both very sloppy early on in particular. Melbourne had some chances inside 20. Brody Croft had two opportunities to pick up offloads from his forwards, drop the pill. Newcastle got a couple opportunities early at the other end of the field, couldn't come up with anything. All the pressure was on Mitchell Pearce. I thought Melbourne did a really good job keeping Ponga out of the equation or dealing with him and Kurt Mann couldn't really help out. Uh, I think, if anything, the most dangerous spine player for Newcastle throughout the game was Connor Watson. Again, playing out of dummy half. Yeah. but <clears throat> Whenever they managed to hold on to the ball and get a bit of a roll on, but they really just played themselves out of this game. They, they didn't complete... They gave away a lot of piggyback penalties. I felt as though they probably got the rub of the green with the referees in the first half, Newcastle. They just couldn't hold the ball. Simple as that. And I I didn't think Melbourne had enough points early in that first probably 25, 30 minutes. They didn't execute real well, as you said. Croft made a couple of errors. and uh, I think it was only 8-0 the lead at that point, but they really cashed in late in the game because you dished multiple opportunities and consistent opportunities up to Melbourne. They're going to make you pay. And it's going to wear on you to... Fatigue because you're doing so much defence. So uh, it's a lesson for him. Yeah, yeah, it's a lesson for him, and it brings him back down to earth because um, you know their form was good, but you know they played a couple of teams without their players, and you know they ran into Melbourne at home, and that, that's probably a fair fair yardstick of where they're at. I, I think you know, despite my heavy criticism of them early in the year, and as I've said the last few weeks, I, I won't take any of that back, and I'm not about to lay the booty now. But no. I think that, that just about represents where they are. I think they're a top eight side, but I, I just don't think at the moment they're a top four side 
all things being equal. They, they just need to be better than that. I also think, not cutting them too much slack, but missing Clemmer, and I still think that Levi was starting to get a role on him potentially. I don't know if Man is the answer at six, but the yeah. way Watson's played in that role, uh, they've got you know a, a bit of a dilemma moving forward there, whether they keep playing those two as a pair of hookers or they push Watson back into the six role, because I think he's looked really good at the nine spot. But um, I think the bigger thing for them is their forward pack. They've been on for six weeks. It's really, really hard to stay up. They ran into a red-hot Melbourne pack, and I, I thought that was the difference in the game. I thought yeah, in particular Jesse and Nelson really laid down the law. They were very dominant, 150-plus each. They pushed in the middle. They made a real, real steady goal of getting through that part of the field. Cameron Smith has always controlled things nicely, and Jerome Hughes had another fantastic game. Pappenhausen was good when he came onto the field. Yep. Uh, I think Brandon Smith, again, understated his role off the bench. Dale had another big game, and Felice Kafusi has come back with a lot of confidence since his origin appearance. He chopped some blokes down, but yeah. uh, they only had one forward over 100 metres, and it was SESE off the bench. So in that regard, like I said, that's been a big thing for Newcastle, and that was what I was kind of getting at for Safidi. It's not a shot, but he came up against a really good, classy pack, and I didn't think he made a hell of an impact on the game. No, and in point. general, uh, they came in wanting to frustrate and niggle and try and get stuck into Melbourne at backfired. The only thing... That ended up happening was Barnett got himself into a spot of bother with an awful crash tackle. Yeah, which was mm-hmm. what was more bothering was the setup, the, like the underhooks and everything. And he had him instead of trying to flatten him out or put him on his back, it almost looked like he wanted a jackknife down on top of him. So that that was just a dumb play, and it's going to cost him now. I think three to five weeks. So uh, I think for feeder was another one actually when we didn't talk about before he got done for flopping in on top. I think that one was nowhere near as bad, but he's going to the judiciary to fight that one for more reports. Yeah, I think Barnett is probably going to take the early guilty plea, which I would, uh, given what he did. Yeah, it's probably mm. a, one of the issues to come out of the round, wasn't it? The crusher tackle. The crusher tackle, definitely. The only other one I was trying to think of is Adam Blair. There you go. Barnett's accepted his ban. Just quickly having a squidge. So. Fafita's going to go off and challenge it. I, I personally think Mitch Barnett should have been sent off. That that was my opinion. I I got pretty fired up watching it, and I'm I'm not a fan of either team. But I thought it was just a clear, deliberate act to try and hurt a player, and for that, I believe that it should be a send off. They're talking about stronger sanctions. Uh, I think well, the, the sanctions need to be stronger on the field. To anything start with. to do with the neck is a no no. Full stop. Yeah, like yeah that's... I the Fafita one. I could I. It wasn't as bad. I think it was just like a lazy flop. It was just and lazy. It kind yeah. of went wrong. I thought wrong. there was more intent in Barnett's, definitely. Yeah. So he's going to fight. He's trying to get off for club and also to play for Tonga on the weekend. And Adam Blair, he was charged for his late shot. And he's going to be fighting that one. I, as well. I don't like how they play the sympathy card. I'm going to miss playing for my country. Well, think about that before you do, you know, yacked on the field. Yeah. Can't yeah. cut people slack based on emotion. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the bigger thing for Feeder, he's probably got carryover points. So well, got, yeah, definitely. Is it a grade two? So I think he's at possibility of missing two weeks, I think. Um, and who else? Suaso Sue is up for a two-week ban for dangerous contact. That was for that late hit, wasn't it? <clears throat> I think live when I watched that fast, I didn't think it was as late. It was made out of it. I still don't agree with the hit, and I don't like Haas getting hit off the ball. But I don't think that's one of the worst ones I've seen as far as timing. But I'm not going to defend it, but... Uh, like you said, learning experience for Newcastle. They've been up for six weeks. Bit of pressure on Pierce. He looked a bit hindered throughout the game, so I think he is legitimately injured, whether we think so or not. But yeah, forward pack nullified. Pierce carried the burden, and uh, yeah, they were blown off the park, and more particularly down by 12 or so, whatever they were. Once Edric Lee got conned by Cameron, Cameron Smith, 
I know everyone on this show hates Cameron Smith and they hate Melbourne, but bloody hell, the bloke's smart. Yeah. There was literally Control a the metre between the sideline and him. Throws a dummy, throws a grubber down his shot, like just something no one else would even bother trying to do. Runs and Edric Lee takes him out. Sinbin, and from that point on, Melbourne just put him to the sword. Mm. Um, that, that period there, they cashed him for three tries and really knocked it home. And like last year, it's such a critical thing to have Cameron Smith during this origin period and have Kiwi players of high quality to kind of keep things afloat. Because in the past, as a Melbourne supporter, this time of the year, you dread because you know you're just going to get dismantled. Exactly And even in a period like this now where we do still have four or five players going in, uh, with the likes of Jesse and Nelson and Dale, who has not been picked up until this point in time, and Brandon Smith and Pappenhausen and a lot of these guys coming through along with having the beauty of having Cameron Smith there, um, they've been able to be more than competitive during these periods of time, and most particularly Cameron Smith, who's having another outstanding season. So uh, good win for Melbourne. Panthers-South, 19-18. It's an ugly win, but it's four in a row. And all I can say is the same thing I said last week. Uh, you couldn't have played Souths and the Roosters at a better time. They've got both of them in a weakened position. And all I can say is you can only play what's in front of you. And this is making up for a shit start to the season. But they've given themselves a heartbeat. Uh, I still don't think they're playing mm. awfully good football. But they're not. But they're winning. Similar thing to what I said before. They're winning. They've got more energy. They've got more intent. Kenny's doing a better job, especially service-wise, and getting his forwards over the advantage line than what they were getting out of Katoa and Egan, Maloney. Cleary are doing their job. I think Maloney's responded quite well the last two weeks, having Kikau obviously playing outside and back healthy, even though he's had a bit of a patchy year with uh, you know fitness and injury concerns. I think Tarmau again, um, after a couple of years, as we said, not having the best kind of impact, is really doing a really good job. And then a few other guys that we talked about getting dropped or having a fine form. They've really stepped up, and the young blood's made a difference. Brent Naden's energy the last few weeks has been great. Brian Toto hasn't had a bad game yet. He's just really, really busy out of dummy half, which has lit a fire under the arse of a couple of guys, namely Edwards, Mansour, etc., are all pulling more weight now because there's pressure from young, enthusiastic players and probably the most enthusiastic of them all. And yeah, he's a bit rough around the edges and he makes a couple of errors, but the, the intensity and intent at all times of Liam Martin, he's just a human pinball. Yeah. He's all over the joint. But he's straightened them right up. Yeah. And he's probably nullified. Uh, the lack of a nine, I think it's it's really straightened their attack up. Um, but yeah, I didn't think Penrith were going that bad at the start of the year. I don't think they're going that good now, if that makes sense. I know they lost a lot of games at the start. I didn't think they were far away, particularly in the South game when they played South at well, Penrith. That's a game they could have easily won. Eels in a dog fight, full strength. Um, they had Manly, Origin affected both of them. Scrap yeah. that one out, and now they've had the two top sides. You'd say both with significant mm-hmm. outs. And they've found a way to win both games. Yeah, I think and a lot of changes in combination as well. Yeah. And for them, yeah. I think the big thing for them and why they're not playing well is what you're getting at. They're Basically, every outside turnover. back that's started the year for Penrith is now either injured or gone. And they've rolled in new forwards too. So they've had a complete change in their own side yeah. at somewhat. But and that's not cutting excuses for no. them. They're still running 14th. They've won four in a row. Yeah. They're probably going to have to string another four in a row at some period during the season to get themselves and right back in. As we've eight. said, those wins against those top two sides are almost gifts to make up for games they should have won at the earlier stage when they just weren't playing with any energy or intent whatsoever. Yeah. South, you know, missing Tom, missing Sam, missing Reynolds, it was a big ass. I think the most disappointing thing for as disjointed as it was is I was hoping for a better response from Cody Walker, but as we spoke about, he looked like a bloke that well, already knew. Well, when we knew. watched it live, yeah, as I said, my comments were that he, he looked like a player that knew. Already that he, knew. Yeah. And it showed. And you agreed, and, well, you had mailed that there were players that were had been told and not been told. and Well, Freddie 
I think from a little bit I heard this afternoon chose to notify some players depending on travel plans or Spoke games clubs and timing. And, so yeah. some clubs were notified, some players were, some weren't. Given well, and then the but, but with, with you having that information and whether right or wrong or somewhere in between, well, Freddie's now confirmed that that, it, that everyone was sort of told at different times and in different methods. Yeah. We then started to watch players who we thought could potentially be dropped yeah. in their body language and the it, way they it, played. Yeah, and it, it showed. But I think the lack of forward go forward obviously hurt. I think Liam Knight did his best to try and step up. They had Tom Amone on debut. Uh, Reese Kennedy got his second game. Dean Britt. They had a lot of guys who came in that tried to make an impact. But it's not the same as when they've got the Burgess trio. Just the last thing I'll say on Cody Walker. I think this has gone out of the game a little bit. And if he did know that he wasn't <laughs> going to be selected. It was a, he almost justified his non-selection by yeah, the way he with played. With the way he played, where is the fuck you performance gone? And it, it cuts me deep mainly because because I, I would have loved to have seen him just put on yeah. score two tries, put on three tries, belt blokes. In saying that, just be head and shoulders the best player on the I field. Don't and think say, well, had, there you go. I don't think he had the platform to play off, but I still don't think the energy or own the game was there to go try and own the game. Just throw yourself into it a bit more, but yeah. And look, I, I love Cody Walker, and yeah, I'm so I'm I. I'm very disappointed that they didn't select him in this game. Uh, however, I just think it, it really made it a lot easier for Freddie to drop him based on his performance in that game. Well, I will say one thing, and this is separate of origin. I've loved the bloke for a couple of years. I pushed his wheelbarrow hard last year, saying that he was one of the better five-eights in the competition, and people may have disagreed with me. My main thing is, if he's not going to play origin, I think he has been the best five-eight in the competition so far, if not very closely, uh, run with Jack White and maybe one other or two others, Luke Keery, before he got injured. Mm. I'm sure Wayne Bennett will do the right thing. You get him back on track. I hope oh, they get all their players back. And more importantly for Cody Walker at this point in his career, I hope he threatens in the finals and goes on to possibly play in a grand final and yeah. has a good good year on that side of things. But this side of thing, I just hope it doesn't scar his club football and the way he plays because I love the way he plays his game. I really do. Uh, but I, I don't read a whole lot into this from the south side of thing. Again, just being so stricken and a lot of changes. they got Johnson and a few other guys back, but combinations – are still brand new. You've got Roberts just into the side. They dropped Coyier on. They put Johnston back in. They had Dewey playing in the halves uh, with Cody Walker. They need to get Reynolds. They need to get Sam. They need to get Tom. Uh, plus all the origin players who are going through a bit of an adjustment period there as well. So for South, I think it's more just hurting their top four credentials just this period. That's all. Yeah, It's been a bit harsh in that regard. Um, Penrith, Jimmy goes in, but it doesn't affect him because it's a standalone week. So perfect timing for Penrith. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure who they play after the buy round. I think that's pretty important, though, as far as to continue building momentum. But like we said, just a mini revival, mini changeover with a new coach and culture change and all the bits and pieces going on once you take over a club. And so far, so good at this point in time. But, yeah, the dirty win that they'll take. Eels Broncos, I don't even want to give this one a whole lot of lip service. So I think the thing that sums it up probably more than anything for me <laughs> With was good reason. Anthony Seabar <laughs> went in and said, I had 12 blokes who had their bags packed for a round. And to be honest, I think a lot of blokes' heads were already elsewhere because they didn't turn up tonight. With And it's very hard to argue, isn't it? Just about anything. And 26 nil at halftime says enough. Um, the Eels on the flip side of that, I've got no fucking clue what to think of Parramatta. They're so hot and cold. And like we spoke about before, there's no four-point loss and four-point wins and a grind-out effect and a consistency week to week where I go, they're putting effort in. They blow a team off the park, they get blown off the park. They blow a team off the park, they get blown off the park. There hasn't been a whole lot of arm wrestles. 
They've had one or two close games, but other than that, it's one way or the other. Mm. Like to if be they're beaten away, by. it's almost tip against them. If they're at Bank West, tip them, and then just that's, and then that's probably yeah. the only science you can really apply to Parramatta at the moment. But I think the real thing that was a dead <laughs> giveaway quite early was Paulo dragging three or four blokes over only like five or ten minutes into the game. Yeah, um, Brisbane the whole night. I I don't even need to get technical about their defense. They were passive, is all over the board. They had no line speed. They didn't address the ruck. They didn't tie in. They didn't really... like. There was some moments there where blokes put some shots on, but it was one-out effort. Yeah. It wasn't a line. It wasn't a group thing. The edges were disgusting. Um, how passive they were. Like, inside 10, we spoke about this before. Off square, hard. You cut down time and space. They were either standing flat or sliding. And some of the tries that were scored were not even a matter of numbers. It was a matter of body position and being able to stop a play. So, uh, full credit to Parramatta for taking advantage of it and being relentless, but I, I thought Brisbane was shit. That's about the only way Hard to argue, man. So, Dearden missing hurt, but yeah, I think a lot of guys' minds were elsewhere. Matt Gillette, that busted day was horrible. Yeah, I don't know that he copped. Um, tough prick came back out in the field and Payne Haas, I thought he was having a pretty decent game until he hurt his hamstring. But um, for them, it's, it's kind of a withdrawal, I guess. We saw him put two pretty tough performances in and things kind of turned again with some player changes, a bit of culture. I don't know if after the break they read a bit of their own press and a couple of guys getting played rep football, but... I guess this is the balance you play when you have a team that has 10, 11 guys that are 21, 22 years old and maybe building in, reading in their own hype a little bit. And they're still in a very vulnerable position, only on five wins. So they're far from guaranteed to spot the finals and it's going to be a steep chase still to the back end of the season. Yeah. So for uh, for Seabolt, I think they've still got enough time and they can turn things around. I still think that Dearden one was a huge blow and massively underrated blow. Oh, Not going to affect huge, all the huge. pieces around that side. So. <clears throat> Correct. Um, yeah, for Para, Oates, Brown. Brown. Brown's the one I really want to single out. To have him and Ma'u back, I think, gives him a better barometer of just aggression and where the rest of the forward pack needs to go. They've got two guys that just have some dog in them and a bit of mongrel. Mm. Those two were outstanding. Um, that kind of got Paulo going. I think Mahoney, because they actually let a bit of a roll on, gave him a better game. Mitchell Moses managed things nicely. Salmon, who I never thought should have been dropped for Will Smith, came back in, had a really nice game as well. So there were some positive signs there on the Parramatta side of things. Manly Dragons, 34-14. Uh, very disappointing. Dragons, again, a lot, lot of disappointing teams this round. Solid start to the game. Scored an early try, got a penalty goal, had some good ball possessions. Uh, they lost McInnes, but on the flip side, Manly lost Arpi Coruscant. I think the difference is Arpi, uh Manasi Farnu, who comes off the bench, was just... He's, he's excellent. Sharp, isn't he? I know they've got two, and I know on the flip side, they had Reese Robson, who played a bit of nine, but <laughs> Manasi Farnu at this point in time... If they keep both those guys, they're in a great spot. But yeah. if, if they don't manage to keep both of them, I'm definitely holding on to Manisi. Well, wasn't it interesting that both sides lost their hookers and one side really excelled yeah. on the back of it and one side just fell apart? I think the other thing that stood out again for me is just their front row. Like The, the one-two punch of Tapia and Fanua Blake, and the big difference in this game was second phase. 21 offloads to seven. I think Tapia had five. Fanua Blake had three. I think Sirenin had five. Like the amount of second phase and those efforts, that just breaks you down. It kills you. And late in the game, it showed. Frizzell got caught dead marine, and Tom Trevojevic ran straight through the ruck, tipped one back in. I think Farno had a nice walkthrough. They did a switch play at the ruck. Like, there was just too many times there where the Dragons were on the back foot, retreating, couldn't get their line together, had one guy at marker. It was just, they were blown off the park for the last probably 55 minutes of that game. They scored a late consolation try, but for Manly, a bit like the Sharks, I guess, except with probably less talent in their squad, had a rough period there had to blood some players, had to play above themselves, and they've done that. Yeah. Now they've got back Tom and Cherry Evans with Jake. I think they've found a 
a great well he was there all along but Kate Cust has really really taken up that position as the six which makes a huge difference they've got a position now where you're looking at their spine going they're set you've got gun fullback two gun hookers one in Farnu who's lit a fire under the ass Arpi Coruscant who honestly has been hot and cold the last couple of years he's yep. had some good games had some bad games but now his jersey's under threat so they're in a real good spot those two front rollers Siren and I thought played better football since he's been there Thompson in a contract year but also with Des he's just getting the most out of everyone um, even Garrick like Garrick was at the Dragons and I thought in the pecking order there he was a first grader but I didn't know you know if he'd get a run he's obviously moved there they've had the salary cap problems but Des has really got the most as we've said multiple times out of everyone and Moses Suley case in point again off field stuff couple of clubs no one could really sort him out but this situation suited him and I actually think he's playing good football so yeah um, good win by Manly for Dragons fans. More frustration. One win in their last seven. Obviously, last week against the Dogs, who were the worst team in the competition. And I know the fans are frustrated. And again, I reiterate, Widop basically was elsewhere before he had his shoulder injury. The DeBellin thing before the start of the season doesn't help. That's $1.6 million or something you say. He kept gone. Norman gone for a period. They still haven't replaced Jack, Lafayette, Graham, etc. I still stick by my point that they probably need to do better with their money and spending and building depth in their top 30. Mm-hmm. But I also still sympathise that there were some situations early on which conspired against them before a ball even got kicked. But there should be a better effort than what we saw on the weekend. Yeah, agree. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. And yeah, the, the call is from McGregor. Um, I guess the question is always what we say. Who are you replacing him with? Well, that's exactly right. And he has the backing of the club. So yeah, it's a hard spot for Dragons fans. You can feel their frustration. The last one, Roosters, Dogs. This doesn't need much lip service either. No surprise, the depth of the Roosters, we've touted it and banged on it multiple times. It's still a better first-grade side than the Bulldogs. Um, they tore them apart. I think the best thing for me was watching Joseph Marnie play at fullback. I think he's got bugger all football this year and he's kind of played second fiddle again and had a quiet season, but he was magnificent at one. So dangerous, so many touches. Uh, the nice shimmy double pump when he put Latrell through a hole, just his own carries. He forced his way over the line. There was the first try that he scored, which was possibly a double movement there where he got a long ball early. He didn't even have numbers. It was a three-on-one. Yeah. His own footwork, size, and power just got him outside of defender between two more, and he's dragged them all in. Like The other one for me, and I've had raps on him for ages, and anyone, again, who listens to me incessantly rant about kids, I love Nat Butcher. And I think Nat Butcher yesterday, with one of his first kind of starting opportunities, really showed the quality of footballer he is. He's got good feet. He's got the ability to pass. He can read rucks. He's a good link player, but he also just does all the shit work. Yeah. Um, Tokiaho, Liu, you could ramble all the, the names off for the Roosters, but plain and simple, they've got great depth. They needed to get that win after losing a couple in a row just to kind of steady themselves. And, uh, you know, it, it was a good win and a timely win. Fair. Yeah, yeah absolutely fair. And, um, comprehensive review, as always. Mm, Bulldogs. It's just th- that yeah. game. It looked like any time the Bulldogs sort of challenged them and went up a gear, the Roosters just smacked them back into yep. their place. We can find something here and yeah. just take it up again. Um, and look, I thought the Roosters were probably 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10 in that game. Yeah, intensity-wise in yeah. particular. But I think the big thing, and we spoke about this before, like they're getting invaluable experience regardless of wins or losses right now with depth in their squad. Yeah. Tupanua, Nat Butcher, Collins played some games. Ryan, all 230 metres, getting some match fitness. So Verrill's playing some time. Manu playing at one. Like the more of these guys that play first grade, yeah. you're in a better position the back end of the season if you do have one or two injuries to plug holes rather than five, six, seven like they're dealing with right now. Yeah. Kiri's still to come back. Drew Hutchinson, like his his junior career was glittering. He was supposed to be the half at the Dragons. Like 
going into that environment at the Roosters really does get the best out of people because I saw the Drew Hutchinson that had those wraps to potentially take over as a half at the Dragons. He had a great game yesterday as well. Yeah. So they're just simmering along. They've lost some games, but they're building more confidence in their top 30. Um, so it's a real positive. For the Dogs, it's just, yeah, get your way through the year. Dallin KO'd in his first game, plenty of effort, but I still think from the back they looked better with Meany there ball-playing-wise and Hopawato the last 10, 15 minutes, why I don't think he's the running threat that Dallin is. You need to be able to ball play at the back. In the last 10, 15 minutes when they had some of their raids with him and four and linking up, they look more dangerous because of his ability to pass the football. So Marshall King, a few weeks in a row now as well, looking more dangerous out of nine, getting some line breaks, but no one pushing with him. So Dean, so hard. Dean Pay's copping a fair bit at the moment. It's not getting any easier he is, for him. Yes, but I mean, what, what, do they, what do they expect? He's, as much as everyone likes to think this is all on him, he's not really in control of, I think, you know, recruitment and everything that's going on there. I think he's coaching the side and he's working with the squad and he's, you know, doing his best that he can. But uh, I, I think a lot of the, the talk out of there that he's going to be moved on or they're looking elsewhere, it's pretty sad, really. Um, and it puts him in an awkward position, all. but he's <clears> just doing what he can, I guess. Yeah. And he's somewhat doing them a favour. As much as people blow up, you have to pick Martin, you have to pick this person, rah, rah, like, He's going through the players. He's going through the squad. He's dropping blokes. He's promoting blokes. He's trying different things. I guess that's all you can do in the situation he's in. I didn't agree with the Harrower and Ira dropping in a couple others at times, but at the end of the day, like it's 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 a hard position to be in. It's not a great club to be at this point in time. It's it's a tough coaching tough coaching job. Full stop. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That wraps up the reviews of the games from the weekend. Get in now, I guess, just to kind of finish off a little bit of a chat. Uh, about the rep round, any gossip and just an update of where we are with the tips and some of our best bets before this standalone weekend box head. And uh, obviously, that'll be brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate. Keep your eyes open on the page for the promotions and the package. Still plenty of games left in the season there. And the boys, they had a pretty good weekend. They gained back five units of profit. Yeah, nice. So a decent round there. And Good run on the try scorers. They had Benny Hunt to score a try, Remus Smith uh, not to score. You can back that. They had Jennings to score, Roger Tuovasa-Sheck to score, and uh, they were really confident on the Eels minus one and a half, which ended up being a good pick. Yeah. Obviously, they had losses within there as well, but for a week overall, really <coughs> red-hot round, particularly on the try scorers and five units of profit packs. So, as we spoke about before, if you bet $10 or $20 bets there, you would have five units of return means you're at $50 ahead for the week or $100 ahead for the week. And on season total right now, they're up to 18.21 units of profit and uh, 6% profit on turnover, which I think you need to explain because you, you know this a bit Yeah, profit on turnover is basically if I've invested $100 over a season or $1,000 over a season and I've got 2000 back, my profit on turnover is $1,000. Yeah, fair enough. So it's, it's profit based on what you've gambled, basically. Yep. As far as our best bets, you went the Dragons and the Broncos. Both, unfortunately, went down. I had the Sharks. <coughs> they both stunk going down. Yeah. Well, I had two 1-12 to bets. I had the Sharks 1-12, to which they got close, but yeah. just the start killed them. And I had the Panthers 1-12, to which they pulled out. So two close games that could have gone against me, but I jagged one of them. So you're 8 from 28. I'm 9 from 28. So still been a rough year on that front, unfortunately. Yeah, but based on, again, turnover, we'd be... Well, I think I'm close to I'm close to even because I've had a couple of big winners, but <clears throat> yeah, it's been a difficult year. But the pro <clears throat> sports thing, keep your eyes open for that. Jump on board with the package. If they don't return a profit on the season, you get next year's package for free. Keep your eyes open for the best bets and any promotions. We'll have to chase them up this week and see if they've got something for the listeners as far as Origin is concerned. And speaking of Origin, uh, Mr. Gossip couldn't get onto him earlier. 
because of work commitments, but he sent through his tips and his gossip on top of that. He has New South Wales to win the game by eight. He likes Tedesco to score first, and he's got Maloney as man of the match. So he's liking Maloney to come back and, and do a job. But uh, I can't say, say I share his optimism. His gossip brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate. Only a short uh, little package this week, but first one we've already spoke about, Callum Watkins to the Titans, and he'd like your thoughts. I like it, uh, but I don't love it. <clears throat> That's probably where I'd stand on it. Well, I'm assuming we haven't we haven't nailed an English import ever at the Titans. Every English import, the only one that really struck it in the NRL was Brian Carney, and he ended up backflipping. Yeah, on the Titans. So it's a Newcastle. Uh, look, I I love Callum Watkins because I'm a Leeds fan. I just have a few concerns. I think it may be he may be past his prime, but he's looking for a new challenge. I like that Leeds side's been struggling. He's a International class player, he can definitely make it in the NRL. I just hope that he gets given time in his chosen position. He gets time to adjust because it is going to be a bit of a learning period because the style of play over there compared to here is very, very different. Uh, and I'd just like to see him give an early ball. What excites me is that Ash Taylor isn't playing at the moment. And the halves and Brimson, they're playing a style of football that would suit Callum Watkins because he get the ball in space. Uh, but... You know, if you're outside backs to be dominant, you need your forwards to be dominant. And more often than not, the teams who have the better forward packs are up the top of the competition. The Titans aren't there, are they? No. And I think on the flip side of that, I guess off an ACL injury over there, the word kind of was that they're obviously struggling. They've asked that he signed a big contract previously. They were yeah. basically saying <laughs> that they want him to take a bit of a, a haircut. Yeah. So I think given the situation, them saying that, him being there for so long, he's thinking, well, Bugger it, I need a fresh yeah. start. For everyone listening, your your, your uh, line in the sand or your you know stake in the grass is Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall played outside Callum Watkins for years and Callum Watkins made Ryan Hall look like a superstar. Ryan Hall's come over and he's acquitted himself well in the NRL. Mm. Callum Watkins is twice the footballer of, of Ryan Hall. Well, similar deal though. Fresh off an ACL, we've got Ryan Hall at the back end. 30, Correct, but what I will say about Ryan Hall is that his style of play fits our style of play yep. over here more so than what Watkins does. He was the first English kind of winger that yeah, played the way that we like to play We the don't game traditionally now. throw our centres early ball here, whereas yep. in England, they yep. like to do Feed that. Feed them, let them go. Yeah, so, you know, if you're going to buy him, they need to play to his strengths. Yep. And too often, teams and coaches don't do that. Well, so that's my fear. Ryan Hall, nine months removed from an ACL, third game of the weekend, racked up 230 metres. Yep. I know it was the Bulldogs, but ACLs uh, aren't something you just come back from. No, they're not. They're Especially, not. he's not your prototypical winger in the sense of what we said, the yardage game he's played. Like, he's got plenty of miles on his body at age 31. Yeah, He's taken some beatings. He's very physical. He's a big human being. But at this point in time, between him and Morris, I think Morris, you get a better finisher. But if you want your more yardage for the back end of the season, they've got a decision to make. Because if Hall does what he did last week and has 20-plus carries, um, that's going to be very handy for the Roosters. So they've put themselves in a bit of a spot That's there. handy in September. Second bit of uh, juicy gossip we've got here is the Panthers are in talk still with the Titans for Peachy, but I don't think it's no longer a clean break and taking a contract and a bit of cap space. Potentially, Mr. Gossip is saying they're talking about a swap for Wunga Blake. Oh, no. So looking to get Peachy back and push Wunga Blake out the door. No, no, no. So even more cap space. They've already freed up room for Dallin and upgrade a couple of kids, but you'd be flipping one for the other. Oh, no. Um, Obviously, from your perspective, I I don't don't, even need to ask you. No. Because I think everyone who listens to this knows that 
we've had our opinions on Wanga Blake that he's, his best is outstanding, but the problem is the difference between his best and worst is huge and he's very error-prone. There's no doubting that when he gets the ball in full flight and he's on the burst and cutting along or making footwork and making people miss, he looks great. The difference is it's once how many weeks or how many games does he go not making two or three errors. It's yeah, flushing the puns. It's not often enough. So in that deal, I definitely think Penrith would be winning. Yeah, I agree, man. Because they'd be getting a very re-energised and hungry Tyron Pichu, who's more versatile and keen as mustard to come back. And I think you guys would just be picking up a contract and another player who, again, is a player on potential. He wants to leave our club. He wants to go back to Penrith. The Titans are the team in the bargaining position here. Yeah. Not Penrith. So... Well, the question is, are they bargaining with Wanga Blake saying that's what they want? do not want Wanga Blake. So, yeah, I agree with you. The last piece he's got here, Kyle Flanagan to the Roosters immediately, which is something I touched on last week. So... If that does happen, and I read another little bit today saying that they want it to happen, but the Sharks are in a position where they don't want to let him leave for depth reasons, which you can understand. But long term, as I said, I thought the Sean Johnson thing may have been a mistake, and they had Braden Trindle, who killed the under-20s last year and has played 12 games a cup this year, so they've got another half back there that they're obviously keen on or confident. The more good players you can have in your club, the better. But I just think the Flanagan move is in his dad to sign Sean Johnson was very early and overreactive and a lot of money. Yeah. to invest in a player that is world-class, but how consistent he's been was my question. And did they really need to go in that hard? When you had wraps on Kyle and they had Braden, I would have rather take the year maybe and not bite on Johnson so quick and let him play out at the Warriors or go elsewhere. But for 900000 I don't blame the Warriors. I was never going to pay Johnson a million bucks. No way. Not from what I've seen. And injury-prone in form. And so far this year, forget the, the form, we've well, seen injuries. Well, I think if Flanagan plays over Johnson on Thursday night, they, they, they win. win. And just purely on goal kicking. And I think on best form, Johnson probably is a better player on his day right now. But the thing is, you've got upside in Flanagan. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of Johnson over a decade now. That, that was my kind of surprise that they jumped in so quickly when Holmes went and bought in a position that I thought they may have had coverage already. So this is interesting, but for the Roosters, that'd be a huge coup. You have coverage straight away for Luke Keary, and you've got the heir apparent somewhat next year for Cooper Cronk. Yeah, exactly. If he keeps developing the way he does. And the beauty for them is Luke Keery predominantly plays left side and Kyle Flanagan predominantly plays right side. So in that sense, they've already got that sorted as well. So, yeah, pretty decent setup if it worked out that way for him. But that wraps up the gossip from Mr. Gossip. We've talked about our best bets and our totals there. The tips from last week, I think I got you got three, I got four. Gossip got five. The total Coming into the standalone weekend, we are both on 62. Gossip's on 60. So he was down 70. He fought back the last few weeks. Yeah, I had a shit weekend on last round. He's dragged himself back in. Uh, is there anything else, Boxhead, that you can think of before we have a quick look at this rep round? No. We spoke about this most years, and people always argue and fight and carry on about this and more international football, and I'm all about it, but at the right time of the year. I don't think it's good that we stop in the middle of the season. Um, I love international football. The standalone origin thing, again, as well, like, I, do, I don't mind the concept and it gets things done quicker to get back to club football. But at the same time, as, say, a Melbourne fan, when you've got 16, 17 players involved in this weekend, it worries me. Yeah. It really does worry me. Yeah. Like, origin worries me full stop. But we know that origin's established. It's big bickies. The NRL is never going to stop it. And I know they need product on TV, but some of these international games do worry me. Yeah. Um, but... At the end of the season, there's been the argument for playing all that all the internationals then or playing Origin straight after the season and picking the most informed players. Then there's the argument that some guys play right up until the end. Others have had four, six weeks off. There's never going to be a happy medium. But number one thing at the end of the day, when everyone kicks, carries on and sends any messages through, it's plain and simple. And this is the end of the argument. 
they're never going to stop the comp. They're never going to have a complete week off for one game. The TV deal is what it is. That's what pays the bills for the game. There's always going to be games or overlap or origin period or international round. Broadcasters won't cop a dead period in the middle of the year. It's never going to happen. Mm. So that's just kind of is what it is. But the Kiwis up against Tonga, that's probably the biggest game on the weekend as far as those international clashes box out. I don't know if you saw much of the squads. They don't really have anything named up here. No, on that's, the, the, that's the difficult part in that they, you just don't know. Yeah, they name extended squads, but other than that, yeah, I'm having a look here and trying to see what the lineups are, and I can't really find anything. There you go. I've got a representative round sort of squad, but I think for that game already, there's already been some mass changes. I think for Tonga, there's two big outs. I think John Asiata, from what I read, has been withdrawn. Actually, no, sorry, Michael Jennings with a knee injury and Fotoaka from your club with a wrist injury. But on the flip side, they're going to have an amazing forward pack. So that's the thing I look forward to watching in this game. Obviously, if Andrew Fafita gets off or he doesn't, they've still got Adam Fanua Blake. Uh, you've got Manu Ma'u, Tavita Pengai Jr., uh, Totola, who's been playing great football, CSR Tokiaho, Jason Tamalolo, Penny Terrapo, Tupanua, the young bloke from the Roosters. So stack forward pack, back line. Uh, got some good players also on there. You've got your Fussy Tours, your Hopawares. But as usual on these ones, there's more spine positions. So yeah. nine, Manisi Fanu, Sleva Harvili. They've got two guys at least playing some good football this year. Got a bit of a tandem they can work with. They look a good side. I think they'll, I think they'll give the Kiwis a bit of a shake. Kiwi's obviously lost some players the last few years to Tonga, and obviously now Martin Tapia pulled out and is going to play for Samoa. Mm. So they started off with a 29-man squad, I think, the Kiwis, and now they've shrunk it down to 19 players. The thing that surprised me is that Dallin's still the captain, not Roger Tuovas-Shek. So yeah. I highly doubt with Roger Tuovas-Shek in your team that he's not going to be the fullback. He's the best New Zealand fullback by a country mile. And I like Michael Maguire, but if he was to play him elsewhere... I think he'd be nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. I, um, I've got to be honest, these games don't interest me at all. Yeah. The, look, the Kiwis-Tonga game does, but the rest of them don't interest me at all. Mm. I'll watch Kiwis-Tonga and I'll watch Origin and that'll be it for me. Well, having a scan uh, through this, it looks like probably Roger Tuivasa. It's just hard to know. Like, they, they name squads. I, I don't understand. Well, Dallin and Ken Mamola are likely your wingers. Isar Masters. But again, we're spitballing. Joseph Manu are most likely the centre pairing from what I'm looking at here. The halves, they've already basically confirmed today. It's probably going to be Benji and Sean Johnson, not Kieran Foran. Jerome Hughes is one that's hard to overlook as well in some capacity for some of those positions. But um, with the fullbacks options they've got and the half options, I doubt they're going to play him there. Front row, I think, picks itself. Uh, you've got Nelson, Asafa Solomon. You've got Jesse Bromwich. I think they'll probably be your starters or if not one of them off the bench. Jarabri here, Hargraves in that rotation somewhere as well. Isaac Liu, Britton Nakora, the way he's played this year, very likely to get a spot in the back row. Fisher Harris, probably the lock. Uh, Kenny Bromwich, you definitely think with his form would find a spot on the bench. So, uh, hard game that one. Brandon Smith will be the nine because Isaac Luke's not named in here. I think the big question mark we have over this game is all these spine positions. So, if you've got Johnson, Benji Marshall, Brandon Smith, and Roger Two of us, check, you probably give the tick of approval to the Kiwis as far as the spine's concerned, but. That Tongan forward pack and what they're going to come off their bench is more than going to be adequate to match what New Zealand's got. So I look forward yeah, to that right. game. If I had to give a tip, I wouldn't have a clue. No idea. Pretty bloody hard to pick that one. Uh, they've got the women's test as well. Papua New Guinea are playing 
against Fiji at Leichhardt before the main game there. And Friday night, there's the Women's Origin game, which was obviously a massive success last year, Brock, at North Sydney. Where's that at? Is it at North Sydney? It is at North Sydney again. Yeah. Uh, so they've got under-18 women's beforehand. And then they've got kickoff afterwards, I'm pretty sure. This list is a bit of a mess, to be honest, that I'm looking through. 7.45, North Sydney Oval, Friday. So obviously New South Wales got away with that one and a close one last year. And it, it was outstanding. The TV... The crowd, the whole atmosphere, it was great. They got their own standalone feel. Uh, it was a real success last year, and hopefully, same again this year. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There's plenty of names that you can pick out from both sides and talk about, like Jessica Sergis, Isabel Kelly for New South Wales, the two to look for. The half, Maddie Studden, a really good player, really in control. Kezi Apps, the back row. But the one for me, and I ran rave last year, the best player that I've seen playing in the women's game is the hooker, Brittany Braley. She's absolutely outstanding. She is a freak. Got control. Good passing game, good running game, reads the game really, really well. Um, I think I heard earlier they've got a bunch of debutants this year to try and flip things around. But between Brittany Braley, uh, Ali Brigginshaw, who's a veteran, Chelsea Baker and their spine, they'll be looking to control things. Amber Pilly's a bit of a strike weapon for them in the centres. And Steph Hancock's a veteran in the front row. But uh, let's hope that it's a massive game like last year. And I think I read here, Shaylee Bent, isn't she only like 18, played in that Tigers yeah. thing this year? Yeah. So, 18th, might get a run. She may get a run, yeah. But if you watched that on TV last year, it looked like an absolute great atmosphere. So, if you've got little girls or even sons that play football, you're interested in getting out there, get out to the North Sydney Oval, support the Women's Origin game. It's not a very accessible ground for Western Sydney. but Yeah, North Sydney's hard to get to on a Friday, but I'll definitely be watching that one on TV. Look forward to it. Uh, they've also got a World Cup qualifier. There's a women's test. At Mount Smart, New Zealand versus Samara as well. South Africa. Yeah, there's plenty, there's plenty on. Cook Islands and South Africa. The Cook Islanders have named a pretty decent side. They've got some pretty good players in from the NRL. Uh, a lot of guys also that have spent some time in New South Wales Cup, but they've got Tepo Maroa, Marada Niakora, Brad Takarengi, Steve Masters, the cousin of Isan, good player playing lower grades for the Dragons. So that should be an interesting game. Fiji, Papua New Guinea, that's always got some spite and fire to it. So that one will be enjoyable as well. Always interesting looking at their squads to see who they're going to name or who they're going to bring in. They've obviously got plenty of uh, backline depth in the Fijian side. It's always, again, more trying to get a forward pack. Awesome halves together. Lebanon, who had a bit of a run the other year with Brad Fittler in the World Cup. They've got some NRL players as well. Michael Leisha, Tim Manor, uh, Robbie Farah. I think Josh Mansell was also named to play for them, but... They'll have a bit of a run as well. That should be an interesting game. Probably give the edge definitely to Fiji in that one. Mm. What else have we got? Samoa. Papua New Guinea. Plenty of fire, I think we can expect in that game. And another strong lineup. You've got Milford, LIA, Brown, Cheekam, SESI, Fatella Mariner, Heimel Hunt, Garve, uh, Lino, Luai, Nofaluma, Paulo. There's some good players in that one. So. There's some football on. I, I must say I'm a bit more like you in the sense of I always miss the regular rounds, but it's better than nothing at yeah. the end of the day. But It is. I'll be watching two games, as I said. Before we finish, the most important one is obviously Sunday night, Perth. What are we doing, Boxhead? Are we watching it here or what are we doing? Yeah, that'll be about the size of it. Sunday night's difficult, particularly without a public holiday the next day. I'd like to see that game on Saturday, but I understand why it is Sunday because of the turnaround between the previous NRL round so yeah it is what it is there you go it well, is what it is. that about wraps us up box hit 
for this week. Unless you want to, actually, I should probably quickly look at some odds for some of those games, in particular Origin, considering we've got the reps. But that is our main focus for this weekend. Uh, obviously, we got the in-depth preview earlier on, and you got our thoughts in that regard. So our tips again, Mr. Gossip, he's got New South Wales by eight, first try scorer Tedesco, man of the match, Maloney. I've gone Queensland by four and Munster to score the first try and be man of the match. And Brock is on New South Wales by six, Addo Carr, first try scorer, and Damian Cook to be man of the match. The odds for that one with the Pro Sports Syndicate, no surprise, I guess. It's a pick'em game, $1.90 a piece at the neutral venue. They've given it in favour of New South Wales by minus one with a line, you get $1.95. One to 12, both sides is two eighty. Thirteen plus, both sides is $5. It's definitely a one to 12 game, I think, bro. Uh, I agree. Uh, so if you're going, obviously the way I'm going, Queensland at $2.80. Brock, you'd be in the one to 12 department, I guess, for New South Wales. You'd be looking at 280 as One well. 12, yeah. I think the line is obviously not something you'd really touch on, but try scorer markets, getting them to load up. If you were to back Tedesco and follow in with Mr. Gossip, you'll find yourself with $12. If you go with Addo Carr and Brock, you'll find yourself with 850 Myself and Cameron Munster is at $23. So some pretty handy odds there. Um, back rowers are usually a good bet, or one that we don't mind in big games. So that's always one to look at. If you're looking at a back row, Felice Cafusi, $26. Frizzell, $29. Uh, who else you got? Is there a bit of a smoky? Matt Gillette running it. James Maloney, if they isolate him, $34 on that other side of the field. You never know what you can get in that regard. Um, Dan Gagai, who's been ever consistent, or Corey Oates, they generally seem to be a threat constantly. They're both at 850 as well along the lines there with Josh Adokar. And I was trying to look for the man of the match markets if we can find something up here. Surely they're up. Hmm. That surprised me. The line? No, nah, man of the match. Yeah, well, they wouldn't be up yet. Not until the sides. I thought that would have been one of the first ones you usually find yourself with. But, uh, yeah, those odds brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate. As far as the internationals, they've only listed a price for one game again because it's the only one that kind of has... Uh, a bit of a rough idea about it, which is New Zealand versus Tonga. Right now with the Pro Sports Syndicate, New Zealand are $1.70, Tonga $2.15 outsiders. The line for that one is minus two and a half. Women's state of origin, New South Wales women again. Only two lines available at this time of the week, $1.70 for New South Wales to retain the title and the Queensland women at two ten. But There you go. That'll do us. Sorted for another week. In-depth origin preview. I'll put up times this week so you can split the podcast if you want to listen into mainly the origin side of things or if you want the previews, uh, in-depth review of round 14 and a quick look at those internationals, like I said. Uh, but our main focus goes to origin. Very interesting to see, Brock. Seven changes, a couple forced, four where Freddie seems to have rolled the dice. Will those two centres hold up? Will they regret making those changes? Can James Maloney find himself back in this arena and take control? Can we lay a platform to get Cook and Tedesco going or will Queensland, with their spine, get it done again? Show more aggression? Go the Blues. I want so, to see a decide up. Yeah, we don't want... On school holidays and I want to drink 100 beers, so... Yeah, no dead Do rubbers. something for me, New South Wales. That's it for everybody out there. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your rugby league. Get out if you possibly can to Leichhardt or any of those games, the Women's Origin Friday night. Support rugby league. And then Sunday night, the big one, game two, over there in Perth, New South Wales must-win game. Let's see what happens. Enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. 
Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.